Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. We're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another midweek mashup. This episode is a little bit different uh, because on this episode, we are bringing on the two hosts of The Fighter and the Kid, Brian Callen and Brennan Schaub. Uh, So this episode is The Fighter and the Kid. One hour of uh, me talking to the fighter and one hour of me talking to the kid. So um, this is a a compilation of the best parts of my conversations with Brennan Schaub and Brian Callen. And we put that into one hit episode that you're not going to want to miss. So without further ado, please enjoy my episode with Brian Callen and Brendan Schaub, the fighter and the kid. Let's go back in time, man. Um, Everybody knows you for who you are today. Mm -hmm. And everybody that follows you basically watches all the stuff that you put out on several podcasts. Yes, too much. But it's a lot of good stuff. I have psoriasis. It's a lot of good stuff. It's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't continue to do it. Correct. Nobody would continue to listen to it. Fair point. Yeah, yeah. It's up for debate. (laughs) But I want to know... I want to know why, you know, I, I find that it's pretty rare that you talk to, you know, nine-year-old Brendan Schaub and go, what do you want to be when you grow up? And mm-hmm. he's like, I want to be a celebrity podcaster. Sure. So uh, let's go back in time to then. Nine-year-old Brendan Schaub. Set the scene for me, man. Like, nine-year-old where, where Brendan Schaub. Yeah, I'm in Aurora, Colorado, predominantly black neighborhood. Um, my skill set back then was being silly and then uh football football is how i like made friends and got um notice from girls so it was a double-edged sword if you ever seen that movie shark's tale you ever seen that so i'm a great white but i feel like a dolphin so i have the great white skills but my personality is of a dolphin i don't want to be a great white but the only way i could survive in my neighborhood was by being the great white that i became so my mom always gravitated towards me doing you know acting and uh, comedy and uh you know saturday night live was like our north star still is still my golden like that young she was that young was robin williams my heroes growing up were jim carrey adam sandler and then on the football side it was junior seau and steve atwater and dan marino and stuff so what was it did you play um man as a kid i was uh like a a fullback which is insane as a six-year-old or seven-year-old fullback and linebacker um and i excelled in that big time i was so uh kind of consumed by it at uh again predominantly black school so the way you stood out was athletic so i would wear uh my parents bought me those uh, molded mcgregor cleats And so we didn't grow up with a lot of money, so they wouldn't buy me shoes then, though. So I uh, was like, well, just give me the cleats. I'll handle the rest. So I'd wear cleats to school. The kids would make fun of me because clink on the <laughs> things. I'd be like, wait till recess, bitch. Just wait till we get to recess. And then recess came, and your boy showed out. You know, and they're like, Jesus Christ, it's recess. But whatever it took. Yeah. So always a competitor. Always, always, a competitor. always, yeah. always, always had a competitive, competitive uh, spirit. But, uh, yeah, football was the goal. And, um you know, always want to do stand up, and then I just kind of, you know, the stars aligned eventually for me to get into that space. But the 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 end goal for me was, you know, I thought I was going to be Tony Gonzalez. You know, I thought I was going to be a uh, Travis Kelsey, more yeah. updated tight end for you guys. So I thought I was going to be like Travis Kelsey. 
had an opportunity, played, uh, went to high school in Aurora, Colorado, Overland High School, and then uh, went to University of Colorado for football. And then I uh, was like, oh, I'm on my way to the NFL. Didn't get drafted, broke my heart. And then I was a free agent with the Buffalo Bills. I got there. They're like, we're all set on slow white guys. I was like, okay, that's cool. And then uh, they sent me home and I was selling supplements door to door. Yes. And uh, like pursuit of happiness style, selling supplements door to door, and then uh, I would do jujitsu um, just to kill time because I always liked jujitsu, and I had this weird knack for it. And people were like, man, you're really good at this. You should do this. I'm like, I'm not doing this. And then um, I went to a gym. I was doing jujitsu at the gym, but it was like a fight gym. This is before the UFC was really big, and it was Nate Markart's gym. And um, I was rolling. Nate goes, you, you don't have any big guys to roll with, so you're not going to get much better if you keep going with small guys. He goes, uh, on Thursday, a guy named Shane Carwin's coming in, and you guys would be great you know, training partners. And I was like, okay. And Shane has an extensive ra- wrestling background. I think he was a Division II national champ. So you didn't do any of that in high school? None of it. No, I played football, football lacrosse. That was my thing. So uh, Shane comes in that Thursday. I'm waiting. I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to have you know a bigger guy to roll with because not a lot of big guys. And Shane Carwin came in at the time. I think he had one professional MMA fight, and we just hit it off right away. And then um, went to dinner, and he's like, man, when are you going to come back? I'm like, you tell me your schedule. And then me and him just kept training together, and he's getting ready for a fight. I went and cornered him in uh, Jackson, Mississippi for a second MMA fight. And then uh, he was like, man, I need somebody to spar with. And I was like, oh, I'll do it. We're you know we're already training jiu-jitsu. So I started sparring with him, and I didn't have money, and he'd pay for me to train with him and his coach, Trevor Whitman, who's this renowned trainer now. Um, at the time, he was not, but I didn't have money, so Shane would pay for it to, to kind of help me out. So I'd hit mitts with Trevor, and then I'd be in on Shane's sessions. And then probably two weeks, three weeks of that, Shane goes, Golden Gloves uh, is next week. And I go, that's cool. Like the boxing? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, cool, dude. He's like, I signed you up for it. I'm like, dude. So he signed me up for it. And then, uh, I remember I, I went to that and then, uh, it was a whole tournament. It's like the biggest amateur boxing tournament. I ended up winning that all knockouts, which is kind of unheard of in that wow. amateur space. Wow. Yeah. And then that was my dad came to the finals and my dad was like, what are you doing? Like I have a double degree from University of Colorado, you know, in, what? in uh, sociology and business. My dad's okay. like, use your degree, man. This is ridiculous. And I told him, I said, come to the finals of Golden Gloves. If I win that, you got to support me. He's like, okay, fine. And I fought this military guy who's whatever, six, eight, this giant black dude and uh, end up knocking him out in the second round. And then after that, just my, boxing, just boxing with headgear on. So wow. it's kind of unheard of to have knockouts. Yeah. Yeah, so after that, my dad was like, okay, maybe you can <laughs> do this. And then I would say a year and a half after that, I got invited to the ultimate fighter. Okay. Uh, made to the finale on that in the ultimate fighter house season 10 with Kimbo and Roy Nelson. And the next thing you know, I did not ask for this. This was not the dream. It's just the path I went down. Next thing you know, I'm in the UFC, uh, short left out. I'm fighting Gabriel Gonzaga's Gonzaga, uh, Anaheim on a big pay-per-view. I beat him. And then I fight Mirko Krokop, who was like one of my heroes when I was in the sport, ended up knocking him out. And I'm ranked in the top 10. I just remember sitting back there like, what the fuck is happening right yeah, now? No like, I don't enjoy this. It's not what I want to do with my life. But I felt like I was like pigeonholed. Like, yeah. well, this is like, this is I'm what you, really good at this. Like though. this way. But just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do sure. it. You know, and my dad always told me, like, you don't have to do it. Yeah. So I just remember just being like, man, this just isn't what I want to do with my life. But it gave me, I wouldn't change anything. It did yeah. give me a, a, a platform and Absolutely. the lessons I learned through, you know, and the, the friends I've made and the connections I've made. Like, yeah. I wouldn't change anything, you know? Back when you're you're selling supplements door to door, how long did you do that? Three years. So you did that while you were tra- while training? I was training. Yeah, okay. that was like the way job. you're making money. Yeah, and okay. they would let me off 
uh, to train sometimes because the pro training would be at like whatever two in the afternoon. I'd be like, can I please go? And they'd let me off. And then eventually that started to become a problem. Um, but I didn't have crazy bills. Like, uh, I remember when I was the ultimate fighter, I left my truck at my brother's house, got repo because I wasn't making the payments on it. I was living with my brother. What lessons do you think he took from knocking doors and selling stuff for three years? That's a long time. So background, I did door to door sales for like six or seven years. Hell so yeah. Five different products. Yeah. Much different companies mm-hmm. recruited, trained, hired, like yep. everything in the door to door mm-hmm. industry. And so anytime somebody says they did door to door. Most of the time, it's like, oh, I did a summer job thing. I did it for no, six man. weeks and I quit. No, no. It's like, you do door to door for anything longer than one or two months. It's like, you got you to figure some shit out. Yeah, it's like pursue a happiness. You got your briefcase. feel like a dumbass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't know who you went. You're not selling supplements door to door. So it's like you knock on the door. Some old lady answers like, right. what do we have in the repertoire that I can sell to this old lady? You right. know, so um, I would think, I mean, pick up on social cues. You pick up on like kind of putting, getting somebody's guard down. Like, no, 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 I know, I know you're not expecting this. And like, it's like they're caught off by surprise. So you pick up good on like verbal and social cues, yeah. can try and figure that out. And then you can capitalize on that in the conversation, try to get a sale. So that helped me out just dealing with people that don't want to talk to you or have no idea about what you're selling and trying to win them over. And all demographic types. Like yeah, you said, like dude. you knock on the door, oh, it's went, a surprise who's going to open. I went everywhere. Yeah. I mean, all over Aurora, you know, in the hood, yeah. I went to, uh, rich areas didn't matter, man. Didn't matter. And you gotta, you have to and learn the rich how to people talk the ones to that every suck. single person. Yeah, the rich people are the toughest ones oh, for sure. by far. Yeah. There's a reason they have money. Yeah. yeah, we we always said the best neighborhoods were like the best, the best, like the worst quality neighborhoods that could still pass credit checks. Yes, that was where we were. Yes, yes, like, that was where. If we you see be. a pawn shop and a uh, like check cash shop, <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, it's gonna get dicey around <laughs> yeah, here. Right. Yeah, exactly. Might not have. Bunch of luck. Yeah, and I think yeah. you get confidence too, and also you, you you get good at failure. You get good at taking L's because your majority you're gonna take L's. That's the big deal. You're gonna take a lot of L's and just keep on keeping on. I think that's the big deal, dude. Because I, um, you know, Guy Raz hosts a podcast called uh, How I Built This, like probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, um, business podcasts out mm-hmm. there. But he talks to all like you know the Silicon Valley billionaire type people, and he wrote a book called How I Built This. It's like a, like a summary of the show. And uh, when he did his book tour, I listened to a few of his interviews and the question that everybody kept asking was like, what's the commonality? Like he talked to all these super insanely successful people. What's the commonality between all of them? And the one answer that he gave consistently every time was white. They learn. <laughs> well, besides that, <laughs> yeah. besides that, they're all white, Brendan. Yeah. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> was that they learn how to handle rejection. Yes. That's a, that's, that's the, a big that was thing. The, the, the number one common denominator. And that helps in, in sports, I learned that young in football, like, you know, you're going to take some else, yeah. but then in fighting, like the, the valleys and peaks are so high and so say, low. It's gotta be but then in stand up in stand up, you're taking L's, man. You're trying new material and you're at the improv or laugh factory or ice house or comedy store. You take an L. It takes a special kind of person, especially early on in my career. When you take that L to not get, you know, too down on yourself sure. and get back on stage and keep going, keep pursuing. So you had this really unique situation that I think not a lot of people gave you credit for, which was that you, you already had the platform before you switched. Right. So like when a lot of people get into stand up from whatever they were in before, it wasn't a big, like they're switching from being, you know, an insurance salesman in mm-hmm. Iowa to like being in stand up. Or the other thing, or the other thing would be, you know, you, which is the 
typical thing is like an NBA player retires, he's an analyst. A, a fighter yeah. retires, he's an analyst. Sure. Or he's, you know, he opens a gym. Like that's right. the traditional path. Right. That's like the re- that's like the pivot. The traditional. That pivot. is not for me. But from the, from like fighting professionally to going into stand up is a completely different pivot. Upsets a lot of people. Yeah, and you're starting. Especially in that world, right? Because you have people that have been taking L's on stage for 18 Mm -hmm. fucking years. Mm -hmm. And then they see like a newbie coming up and and then you get platformed. It's like, totally understand. Screw that guy. Totally understand. Have no animosity towards those people. I get it. Yeah. So what was it like for you coming into the space? And like, because the big thing is you had to learn while people were watching you. Yes. You didn't get to learn while nobody was watching. Yeah, which I which to me like the level of dif- difficulty when you're doing that, the the stakes are higher. Absolutely. So, do I wish I never did fighting and didn't have a fan base and started comedy? Fuck yeah, dude. You tell me I can go to open mic or I can show up at the comedy store and try and get a potluck or something like that. I have to, I I don't get I'm not allowed to do that. Right. So, especially early on, I would go to places where yeah, maybe somebody knows who I am, but they're not expecting me. Or I'd go to these weird locations just because you don't want to get in front of people who know you from fighting because that's sure. not good. You don't you don't know where you, the chips are going to fall there. So for me, it was like this weird like path to comedy, trying to find places or or follow monsters that I would always put myself. And that's where I think fighting and football came into play here because in fighting, the one asset that I knew is like. When it was sparring day, there's certain guys like, oh, I don't want to spar that guy. Well, why don't you want to spar that guy? Because he gives me problems. Yeah. Okay, well, that's who you should be sparring sure. because you're only going to get better. Because if he's that's giving me problems now, yeah. when you when the lights are on, you're getting paid for it. You don't want those same problems. That's what you want to gravitate towards. But it's in our human nature not to go that way. So I was good about going that way, forcing myself to go that way. Yeah. So in, in stand-up... I think early on with young comics, it's not natural to want to follow a Joey Diaz, a Chris D'Elia, a Joe Rogan, a Brian Callen, a Theo Vaughn, a Tom Segura, a Burt Kreischer. I would ask to be followed by them or at least go right on before them. Or some, don't, don't give me a sweet cupcake spot. Yeah, yeah. Give, me, give me a shitty spot. Let yeah. me figure it out. So I think that's where my path has been different. Now you could say, oh, the reason he makes money torn is because he had a fan base prior. I haven't fought in nine years, man. You know, so yeah. that doesn't really work. But then also, you're open mic. Nobody knows who you are. You have the, you know, the freedom to get away with stuff, try sure, stuff. Right. I don't have that. I had to get pretty good really, really fast. And it was very stressful. Still is. Still yeah, is. Right. Still is. Right. I mean, you came in at, I want to kind of parse through the timeline here. So you are, you're fighting and then the fight world at some point mixes with the comedy world. How mm-hmm. did that come about? I was were the a, first connection. Yeah. Had? I was a coach on the ultimate fighter uh, on Shane Carwin season. He was supposed to fight Roy Nelson, but I think Roy got hurt. So then Shane ended up fighting junior dos Santos either way. That wasn't a good fight, but I was a coach in the house on the ultimate fighter, like a grappling specialist. And, uh, Nate Morcart had a connection to Brian Callen, who, uh, you know, is a big comic. And, uh, he brought Brian in to make the kids laugh at the time in the Ultimate Fighter. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I love stand up. And, you know, secretly, you know, I like adore stand up. It's what yeah. I've always wanted to do. Did you so, tell anybody before that? Uh, my mom knew, my brother knew, but I mean, in general, my friends wouldn't know. No, yeah. no, probably not. Maybe my college buddy I've talked about too when we got like drunk and stuff. Sure. Yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. know, but we also talked about like hooking up with dudes as right. a joke. So <laughs> they didn't take me serious. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, 
uh, they brought Brian into the into the house, and uh, we just we met there and we hit it off. He's like, "I have a show tonight. You you should come." And I come to a show in Vegas, and then uh, he's like, "We just hit it out. We had this weird chemistry." And he was like, um, "Man, if you're ever in L.A., uh, hit me up, man." I was like, "Yeah, no doubt." And he's like, "No, seriously." I was like, "Well, this is what's interesting is I'm actually moving to L.A. because I grew up in Venice Beach in the summers. My uncle lived here. My dad would always send me and my brother. He'd come with us during the summer. So I grew up in Denver, Aurora, Colorado, and then also Venice, California, Venice right. Beach, because at my uncle's place. So we so I was planning to leave Denver. I was on a two fight losing skid. I need to switch something up. So I was gonna move to L.A. to find something new, start a new chapter. And so Brian's like, "Hit me up when you come." I'm like, no doubt. So I remember packing up all my stuff in Denver, tell my family I'm going to leave. They're devastated. And the way I wanted to soften the blow, I was like, I'm coming back in a month. I'm only going there for a month and I'll come back. I'll switch back. And they're like, okay, thank God. But I knew in my mind I was never coming back. Mm-hmm. So I packed everything up, drove down there. And then um, I remember I pulled into my uncle's place and I just remember I started crying. I was like, I have nothing. I have no friends. I don't know where I, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to figure it out. What the hell did I do? I need like to go my 20s. Mid 20, 24. I was at 25. Maybe I was like devastated. I was like, God, you're an idiot, dude. I knew nobody. And I was like, Oh yeah, that Brian Callen guy gave me his number. So I'm like tears in my eyes and I'm texting him. I'm like, Hey man, remember if you want to get coffee? I'm here. Two seconds later, sounds good. Sent me an address, Intelligentsia off Main Street. And I was like, what? Or off, I'm sorry, Abbott Kenny. I was like, he texts way too fast. Like he's <laughs> so desperate to hang out. So I meet with him. And then we're just talking about things. And again, we have this weird chemistry. He's like, um, he's like, man, I do a podcast, dude. This is 12 years ago. He goes, I do a podcast. And I go, what's a podcast? He's like, it's like radio, but you record it. This is before everyone, their gay aunt had a podcast, right? (laughs) Out of the garage. And he's like, I do a podcast. I was like, I don't want to do that. He's like, no, come on and uh, we'll have fun. I'm like, all right, dude. So I go, it's out of his house in Santa Monica. We're in wife beaters. We have a picture of this. We're both in wife beaters and just talking shit or whatever. It gets done. He's like, man, we should do this once a week. I'm like, I don't want to do this once a week, man. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you'll just break down fighting. And I was like, oh, let's say you don't know me. I don't want to break. Like my life is fighting right now. I don't want to do that. But if you allow me to talk fashion, cars, comedy, I'm in. Anything else. Yeah. He was like, all right, we can do that. I go, what should we call it? He's like, I don't know. I go, well, what's, what's like your nickname? He's like, everyone calls me the kid. I was like, okay. And he's like, oh, how about the fighter and the kid? I was like, that's dope. Let's go with fighter and the kid. Two years later, I realized he made that name up. Nobody calls him the kid. <laughs> he, he was 40 something years old when I met him. He's 42. Nobody calls him the kid. He literally made that up. I was like, people don't call you on set. He's like, nah, man, no one's ever called me. It'd be cool though. I'm like, wow. <laughs> they do now. Our entire relationship started on a lie. <laughs> yeah, you're a fraud. But uh, yeah. So yeah, we just started doing it and then we we're having so much fun doing it. And then um, I remember we're, you know, we're one of the first to ever, you know, athlete and a comic to start a podcast. Now, you know, millions of people do it, but yeah. we we're one of the, we were the first to do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean talking 10 12 years ago yeah yeah like, yeah we started like 2000 years ago then. yeah man yeah, yeah yeah so uh i mean i'd be walking the airport going to like ufc what was it two or 174 like i was going to vancouver to fight andre alofsky i'm going through tsa and everyone's like saying oh. things i say in the podcast I'm like oh what are you what are you doing vancouver man we're doing toronto i was like what do you mean? Like, you're, are you here doing comedy i'm like at the time i was in stand-up i'm like no like you're doing like a live podcast i'm like do you not have a TV? You don't see me on the promos for the big UFC? They're like, oh, that's right, dude. I'm like, and in my head, I'm like, oh, shit. Start realizing. They know me for being funny, not for being this meathead inside the octagon. I'm like, that's mm. cool. And then, uh, so we kept doing it, even though I was fighting. And then um, at the time, 
we just started to get ads, you know, for the first, whatever, three, four years, we weren't making any money. But then we started, the ad money started rolling in. I remember. Wait, hang on, hang on. So go that, ahead. So that, so that one more time, how, how long you were not making money? Probably three years, three, four years. Yeah. yeah this is what, dude, I'm sorry to cut you off here. I, like, I just have to step in because like we, we produce podcasts, we coach people on podcasts, we teach podcasting, we have the agency that does all things in the podcast sure. space. And that's one of the things that people always talk about. It's like. They want instant they want Yeah. They want to make money. No. It's like, okay. And I tell people, give it two, three years and see if you still want to do it for free. Correct. And then if you still want to do it for free after that, then you might make money in another two or three years after that. Yeah. We never started the podcast to make money. I've never done it. I didn't do, I didn't start stand up to make money. I didn't start any podcast to make money. Which is why you're making money at it now. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I never, I've never done anything just like, Oh, this is just for the dollars. Right. Like I, I didn't start my whiskey cause I want to turn into Conor McGregor. I did it cause I love whiskey, yeah. you know? So anything I do, it has to be organic. You can't force me to do anything now. Not nothing. So yeah, with the podcast, even with stand up, like money that was great. You're going to pay me to do it. I would do it anyway. Sure. So it's yeah. great. But I remember we got our first like major check for doing podcasting at the time we were with Fox. I got the first major check. And then I also had my check on the counter. I was living at, 800 square foot apartment in Marina Del Rey with my girl, my wife now. And we had the two checks sitting there and the check for being this silly dumbass compared to the check of getting punched in the face was way more. I was like, figure it out, dude. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I'm done. I'm out of here. So I, you know, I just ran with podcasting after that. And then <laughs> that was the last fight. That was the last fight. That was the last fight ever. And then, uh, we started to do live fighting the kids again. This is before people were doing live podcast, but Brian was brilliant. I'll give him all the credit on this. He goes, you ever seen a live podcast? I'm like, yeah, they suck. Just two guys sitting down talking on a stage. He's like, we're not going to do that. We're both performers. He's like, we're going to make it a show. It's a fine kids show. It's not a podcast or a show. So you come out and tell a 10 minute story because you're a good storyteller. And then we had all these bits lined up. So we'd have a set list of bits we'd do for every show. And I was like, oh, that's smart. He's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, so I'm doing stand up. And he knew I wanted to stand up, but he didn't want to scare me. He's like, no, you're not doing stand up. You're just telling a story like you're on a podcast. Like, just pick an interesting story and then 10 minutes, then I'll come out. Yeah, I was yeah. like, all right, cool. We're doing big venues. Like, my first time ever on stage, I think, was in either Bray or Ontario. Like, 500 people sold out. First wow. time ever. These so, are just fans of the show. Fans of the show because the show was, you know, show's big. Yeah. So we, we keep doing that. And then I remember we're at, I think we're at the Vic in Chicago, massive theater. I mean, seats 3000. And I'm backstage. I'm all nervous. I'm like, I don't know what story I'm going to tell him. Brian's like, what's, what are you talking about story? I go, come on, dude. Like I'd get so frustrated. I'm like, the story. We start every show with story. He's like, Oh, dumbass. You think you're telling stories? I go, what am I doing? He's like, you're doing stand up. He goes, most people are laughing. And then just a light bulb went ding. I went, Oh my God, dude. And I got more nervous, mm. but he was like, yeah, you're doing stand up, dude. This is my way of pushing into stand up. Yeah. And then Rogan was like, you got to do stand up. You got to do stand up. Whitney Cummins was like, you know, you can do stand up for the rest of your life. I'm like, you think? And she's been it forever. So has Rogan. So I was like, all right, let's see what happens. Here we are. That's wild, dude. That's wild. When I was, was waiting first- for CT to kick in. So you probably enjoy- <laughs> buy your tickets in Naples, Florida this weekend and then Bakersfield and Brea because. I don't, we'll see. CT's yeah. going to kick in any second. <laughs> the now. clock is ticking. Yeah, I'm paying a heavy price. <laughs> oh, man. When was the first time that uh, that you guys did Rogan? Well, I mean, Callan probably did above that. Not really. No. no. Yeah, we did. Rogan moved to Denver when I was in Denver. And then when I moved to LA, we would always go to dinners. Like, we do a ton of dinners. Me, Brian, Rogan, um, Tate Fletcher, a bunch of different guys. And I'd tell them, they would always ask me to tell, these guys would tell me to tell them stories. And then, uh, Rogan was like, you're fucking funny, dude. I was like, thanks, man. He's like, I'm telling you, you gotta get in stand up and kept pushing me. And then, uh, at the time, uh, 
he probably lived maybe his studio was like a mile from me. Yeah. And then he was like, come on the podcast. And me and Brian went on there, promote finding the kid. And then it just kept on keeping on. And now I think I'm the most, I've made the most appearances on JRE ever. Really? It's almost, like almost 90. Yeah. We were doing, we were doing some research before, obviously before this interview. And I was looking, I was like, Jesus, how many times has this dude been on? Yeah. <laughs> Between just me and Rogan alone, me and Brian and fight companion. Yeah. Right. And the, I mean, I'll still go on Rogan by myself, especially like when I'm releasing a special or tour dates, but then yeah. fight, we're starting to do more fight companions. Yeah. And we and just did one last week. Along the way though, like when, when you guys first got started, like Rogan was nowhere near no, 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 the no. legend that it's become now. No, no. Right. No. I mean, like you watched it go from like, oh yeah, that's the guy from Fear Factor. Correct. Right. To like people are oh, surprising people Rogan. are still that way, kind of. Really? Like uh, you you do the show with the guy from Fear Factor, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Dude. <laughs> you living under a fucking <laughs> rock? Like, I'm not even entertaining this, this conversation. Like yeah. Multiples of I mean, the views. He's on also one of the biggest Factor. comics in the world. He hasn't yeah, been doing right. stand up longer than any of that bullshit. Right. He's a right. stand up first. Yeah, that's what I tell people all the time because again, we teach people podcasting, a lot of people are like, well, I just want to be like Joe Rogan. I'm like, well, first of all, that's not gonna happen. So like you know, let's reframe some chance. things. Like yeah, a comic before with that he intelligence? got into podcasting. He had already done like 20 years of stand-up comedy. Correct. He was an extremely effective communicator that knew a ton of different people, Mm -hmm. all from multitudes of backgrounds. He Mm -hmm. knew how to communicate with them and hold conversations with them and be funny at the same time. He was a television host. He was on a sitcom. Yes. Like when he started, he was already leagues ahead of you. Correct. And he started the podcast before there was like, like there was like a thousand shows in existence. Podcasts and on the decline now, in general, as far as the the people, the entry the number level, of people that are it's, starting, it's one. going back yeah. down because like listenership think, is up. Yes, the the odd the audio listenership is up. The yes. viewership on YouTube is down across the board. Mm-hmm. Yes, really. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's for a variety of reasons that YouTube controls. Yeah, I was going to say Bigger audio is that anyway. Yes, audio is king, hands yeah. down, a hundred percent. All I care about is audio numbers. Do you guys do you guys find a lot of like uh, reach on social media clips versus audio? Like, are you driving everything to audio? Like, listen to podcasts. No, podcasts? I mean, I, th- I, th- I think because audio kind of take care of itself because people find it. We push everything towards YouTube, really. Okay. Like the visual clips, all that. Okay. Yeah, everything goes to YouTube. Uh, for the most part, and yeah. The podcast is kind of the catch-all. Yes. Like, if you listen, you're gonna listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But you don't do much like to promote to the promote audio. The no, the people find the audio. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, that's that's what I found is that. It's the most difficult part to grow because discoverability is audio. Yeah, for sure. Because discoverability is shit, big time now. The only way to find it is to search it. The waters are murky. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Unless you're a new podcast and you book like some crazy guest, and people are like, "Oh, let me check this out." And I'm like, "All right, what else have they done?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was gonna say even then, like you might get a small spike in numbers, mm-hmm. but the next episode, it's back down to where it normally. Yeah, is. yeah, I'm not. Uh, I mean, as long as I've been doing, I'm not interested in that. You know, the 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 wave of booking a big guest and you have nothing in common with them just for the views. I yeah. don't. There's yeah. no longevity in that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather do a podcast with my friends and it gets less views. I'm good. And but it makes it more interesting. Yeah, because you're buddies, and, yeah. and I want to do it. And you've built a solid fan base now. Where because mm-hmm. that's the thing that <laughs> again, dude, I got these people that are just like, I just want to like start podcasts. And I just want to like, bullshit with my friends. Like funny or whatever no. it's like but the problem is though nobody cares nobody knows you yeah no one cares like yeah. nobody knows who you are Besides therefore they're just, they have zero amount of investment in your story in your bullshit in about what happened to you at work nobody gives a fuck no because like tim dylan told me he's like bro now that there's so much money to be made in podcasting like 
legit talents get involved. Like, exactly. We, like it was so niche when you and I were doing, it, especially you. Now, like you have, you know, fucking Jason Bateman. Yeah, it's like you get legit Hollywood stars with fan base are doing it now. It's just a different. It's a different thing. Yeah. It's just a different thing now. Yeah. You, it, it's it's all about niche now. Like you get your Absolutely. fan base, fuck everybody else, ride with your fan base. Dude, I got a buddy. Um, I got a buddy who's been podcasting for a while. He just started this new show. It's about vertical farming. I didn't even know that was a thing yeah. that existed until he was telling me about it. It does not get a ton of traction, obviously. It's a podcast. Unless about you're a farmer. Farming. I bet for farming, he <laughs> crushes But if you're it. a vertical farmer, yeah. that's the only show that, that exists. Yeah. So you listen to it. All 14 of them are crunk every his, Monday. <laughs> his, first, his first two seasons. He, he released he, he released two seasons and he got and he sold sponsorships on all of them. He made seventy thousand dollars on sponsorships for his first two seasons mm-hmm. with a minimal minimal amount of downloads. And I was like, that is the perfect case study yes. for what it means to niche down niche yes and, and find because there's something a there's a lane care for about it. yeah there's right. a lane for it for right. sure and there's advertisers want to spend money it's like advertisers want to spend money but the bottom line is like if you're trying to advertise whiskey you're going to advertise it on your show mm-hmm. or rogan because mm-hmm. you're because you need massive distribution mm-hmm. with a wide variety Correct. of potential customers yep. but if you're a vertical farming equipment salesman you know what I mean? It's like gonna there's cut your sponsorship down. It would, it would, yeah, but it those sponsors would, they would waste money on your show. Yeah, correct. Because there's the 99 percent of your listeners don't give a shit. About no, sir. It. So yeah. they go to this guy and it's like, yeah, you might only get whatever seven hundred dollars. His conversion rate's great though. Exactly. Yeah, his yeah. conversion rate's gonna be higher than a million downloads. Yes. So, like, perfect example, dude. I know I said I wouldn't bring this up, so sorry to rub some salt on the wound. No, what do you got? Um, <laughs> you've been into fish a lot. Yes. Lately. Okay. So. If you started a freaking fish podcast about like aquariums or whatever, I bet you 100% it would be your least downloaded podcast, but it would get like in terms of dollars per download, the the highest of everything else. Yeah, it's strange. Because you would have these hobbyists that would come in and they want to spend money and it's an expensive hobby. Agree. Yeah. With a lot of it, like it's all organic. Like with that, it just came through. My son wanted a fish tank, and as a kid, I loved fish, but we didn't have money to buy like the nice fish. So I took him to get fish. I'm like, these fish are bullshit. Yeah, like yeah and I was like, this is a waste of time, dude. And then um, I asked the guy, I'm like, hey, where can I get cool fish? He like looked around. He's like, dude, go to here. And it was like right near my house. I'm like, yeah, he's like, they have everything. So I walked in there. I'm like, oh. And I, I remember as a kid, I was so obsessed with fish tanks. I knew everything about them. And just all that came back to me. And the next thing, literally three weeks, I have three fish tanks, 80-gallon tank, 55-gallon tank, 30-gallon, and I have all these exotic fish. I just got really into it. And then I would post about it and talk about it. And, you know, it might not get a million views. It gets good views. But then I saw how my fan base – because. It's, you know, they're not going to give me advice on fighting or on stand up. They don't do sure. that, but they do know fish. So mm-hmm. the amount of engagement I got for people like, hey, try this out or have you seen this fish? Cause that's them going, oh, actually, this I know more yeah, than I relate about. to that. Yes, now, this yeah. I can actually help them. Yeah. So the engagement, the, the, the connection I've made in the fish world is insane. Well. Same thing happened with during the pandemic. I got really into bike riding, still am. That's mainly, I, I ride bikes more than I lift weights now. I love mm-hmm. riding bikes. But the bike community is so supportive. So is the fish community. I've made great connections just through riding bikes. Right. Hey, I like bikes. People are like, well, I know more about bikes than you do. Let me help you out because you've helped me out from making me laugh or whatever the sure. fight breakdown. Sure. So here's how I'm going to give back. So you meet some great people, man. It's dope. It's yeah, dope. That's, that is the wild thing about the internet, dude, is like no matter how crazy or weird the niche is, there's an entire community of thousands or millions of and, they, and that they are interested in that same thing. And they know their shit, man. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I love about the podcasting space. dude. Is that when, when I go to like a podcast conference, 
I, I do a lot of like events and conferences and stuff like that. And how long and, have you been doing it? Uh, six years, mm-hmm. almost six years. Um, and in the business world, it's basically the same group of people because everybody's there for business, you know? So like the, the personality types are similar. The, sure. the types of people are very similar, but you go to like a podcasting event and they're a lot of fun, dude, because everybody that's there, the only thing that unites them is the medium yes. through which they get their message out. Yep. But the like industries are vast. Like I said, anything from vertical farming for sure. to business to comedy is just it, like, yeah. wow, the, the, the just pure spectrum of folks that exist in this world. Yep. Just the only thing that unites us is the way that we talk. Yep. To I the think audience. the kind of the perspective on podcasting is changing too. Cause the Rogan deal, they see how much money he's getting. Like my dad forever. Be like, are you even making money doing this? I'm right. like, Oh dad. Come, oh dad. <laughs> You know, so it's like now it's changed a little bit because they see like Caller Daddy and Dak Shepard and mm-hmm. Armchair Expert. Like no one really knows the finances of a, of a podcast. Right. Right. Now that Rogan deal, you know, Smartless, Wondery, Gimlet, all these like networks and stuff that are being picked up. Like it's when they when those first checks were signed, it's like they they called the price of what a podcast it changed the game and right. I, you know i'm I, glad those guys got paid i don't know if it changed for the better because then you get this influx of dumbasses totally and so now because there's no the the level of entry is so minimum when a camera if you want to be on youtube but really just need because audio's king you just need two mics and so knows what the fuck they're doing right. so the love of entry is so low so everyone can do it yep so it just mur- it, it makes the waters a little muddy that's always the saying dude. but, it's but like- talent always rises to the top Oh, right, exactly. always, always, always. Yeah, there's always room for the best yes. in every situation. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I think people underestimate what it takes to become best at something. Yes. Especially somebody who's field. never been the best at anything. Yes. You know, like yeah. you take somebody who's just been like in complacent mediocrity for their entire life and then give them a microphone. Yeah. They're just going to sink to the middle again. Yeah, you're not going to blame like everybody Rogan. else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, I'm blaming exactly. everybody. Yeah, I think, and that's where you know, me and Brian were perfect because Brian's not a business guy, really. Like, he just, he's, you know, he's a comic and actor, so he just, people tell him what to do, he gets a script or comedy, it's on his, you know, on his time. So with the podcast, I brought the business side to it because he would come late or whoever it was. If we had a guest and we're late, I took it as such disrespect because I was like, this is no, I tell all new podcasters like this, treat it like you work for ESPN or treat it like you work for HBO. Mm -hmm. It should come out the exact same time every single fucking week. Yeah. It shouldn't come out a day later and people don't know when it comes out. It comes out the exact fucking time. Yep. So people can depend on you because if it's coming out maybe a Tuesday, maybe a Thursday, you're not taking it serious. Right. So I treat it like I, because I've worked for, you know, uh, Bravo. I worked for E. I've worked for ESPN. I've worked for Fox. I worked for Showtime for all these years. So it's like I treat my business the exact same way that when I was an employee of those businesses. Yeah. Don't disrespect me, man. Well, it's the to. people that do it by the seat of their pants, you know, right. it's, you know, you can't compete. It, exactly. That's the problem. Can't it's, compete. It's never going to gain any traction. No, you're, comp- like, you're competing with the best of the best. It's man. like 90% of starting, like the reason to start a podcast is to build trust with a group of people. Mm-hmm. That's called an audience. Mm-hmm. Like an audience is a group of people who like Brendan so much that they want to tune in to listen to what's going on. You're like, that's just a wild thing to think of Wild in general. It's like, it's there's this number too. of people that care about what's going on in my life enough to tune in on a weekly basis. Every week, like, that's crazy. you bullshitting. I, I don't think there's a better medium because like acting like, I don't know fuck all about Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, right, exactly. I know he says he's you into- You think you know him. I know he <laughs> says he's into, you know, like global warming that flies around in private jets. Yeah, like I know he's into chicks <laughs> and making dope movies. I don't know that fucking guy. Right. The podcasters are dope because you know them. 
Right. Like, you know, I've, how long I've been doing, you know, they know, they've been through, you know, my downfalls, you know, right. my losses, the wins, the, the big moments. Cause I, I say everything when I've had children, how I've changed from when I first started with no kids to when I have kids now and they've been through it all. So when, you know, I'm on tour and I do the meet and greets, people are like, this must be weird for me. Like, it's not because you guys know. Right. So this isn't weird. I feel like I know, you know, me, this is all good. It's never awkward ever. It's never awkward. Those it's, meet and greets, it's, it's so dope. It's the only medium that you can't fake. Yes. It's like my team writes 95. And I want to say my team, I mean that guy behind the camera right there, writes like 95% of the shit that I say on social media. Yeah. Most of it comes from my marketing team. Yeah. But I can't fake this conversation right now. No. If you listen to me for seven hours on a podcast, you are going to get a really good idea of who the fuck I am. You'd be the best actor of all time. If you can do that for years, for years, there's no way. You'll get get found out eventually. It'd be so exhausting. Yeah. I mean, there's people that do that. Yeah, yeah. I won't mention names. And they're exhausted. I won't mention names. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, uh, that, that's why I love the media, man. It's like such an intimate, just like, that's why the show's called Travis Makes Friends. Yeah. Because it legitimately allows me to go make friends with people. Mm. But I also legitimately feel like the members of my audience can listen to this conversation and be like, it makes them feel like they're sitting on that chair right there. Yeah, it's, it's weird because podcast is such a niche thing, like this underground thing. You had your fans. And then I was just Showtime for almost six years when I had all my shows with there. And they offered me another six-year deal, and I was like, I feel like I can do it myself. And then you go from being the talent and just showing up and doing your thing to running a business. And don't get me wrong, I'm still having fun, but when it's so business, it takes the fun away. And I I, I remember my dad was like, be careful, man. Like, you're, you're going to different territory now. Because now, before, you just be this silly guy and could do everything. And now you got to worry about the overhead, the employees. Now you're a boss. He's like, so you're adding that to your plate. And I'm like, I can handle it. Pan, literally, we've been going. I left Showtime a year ago. Uh, it would be January 8th is when I left Showtime and started Thick Boy Network. Now I have psoriasis and shit. You know, it's just a lot. <laughs> a lot of stress, dude. A lot of stress. Different animal. It, it, but, it, you know, it'll be worth it down the road. Yeah, no, I hear that. How's, how's that been going with, uh, like, running the businesses, doing the podcast, being the content? You're, like, the talent and you're the CEO. Mm-hmm. And then you're also you're also a dad. Yes. Your uh, husband. Yep. How, how, do you, how do you reconcile all of that? I mean, I feel like I'm doing a f- decent job. You know, I'm a great dad. I know that. Um, good dad. Um, sometimes stuff when you go on the road, you know, you miss certain things that, that eats me up. But, uh, the, the you boss travel with you ever? No, 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 no. They're too young right now. Six and three. It's yeah. tough. Um, you know, as far as being a boss, it's just different because I come from a sports background. So it's like one thing you gotta learn is, you know, these guys, whether it's your producers or editors, like they don't, they didn't come up playing sports. So, you know, I'm very black and white, you know, you're only going to hear from me when you fuck up. And that's not really a way to run business, you know? So you have to be more open to people's feelings and stuff like that. And so I'm learning, you know, I'm learning. Yeah, It's a lot of different personalities. And like, to me, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't read motivational books. I don't find people motivational, like from speeches and TED talks. I'm the last guy that needs that. So I assume everyone's like that. Like I lead by doing, you know, so, but it's, everyone doesn't work that way. Sometimes you need to go, Hey, great job on that clip or great job on that food truck diary or Hey, Chang, great job on today's fine kid. Like people need that reassurance and I got to get better at that. I have to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely something like if you're going to be successful in any leadership role, it's basically just the managing of people. Direct and personalities. And I remember I called my dad. I was like, oh, we started with like seven people. I'm like, I got the perfect team. He's like, you don't. I think you do. 
Yeah. He's like, you'd be the first CEO in the history to start with the same seven people and end with the same seven. He's, he's like, maybe they're great at certain aspects of the job, but when it comes to the team and gelling, there's no way you have the perfect team. Like, you're out of your mind. And boy, was he right. <laughs> My God, was Papa right. I was going to say, it sounds like dad's a good sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad, you know, came from nothing, self-made and hustles. You know, yeah. he's where I get my work ethic from. What does he do? Uh, he was a computer programmer, still is. Okay. But he start, he's the first to come up with, like, high-level uh, government encrypted emails for the government and, like, banks. Oh, wow. He sold that software when I was, like, I don't know, 11 or 12. Wow. Think, yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Completely self-made. Sell so, completely self-made, yes. Wow. And my brother's a computer uh, programmer, too. And then also my tour manager. Any other um, siblings? Nope, just me and my older brother. But my brother's my tour manager, so I see him every road date. He's with me, selling merch, selling whiskey. Did he do a bunch of uh, um, sports or athletics as well? Not really. He he'd play basketball somewhat. I remember he used to cry at night because he wasn't black. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is weird. And then um, not really. He, he playing he, basketball. Yeah, he had a troubled childhood. He had a lot of anger issues and was like, you know, got really bad grades and somehow got to Colorado State and then flourished there you know finished with you know a's and b's and went on to work for microsoft computer smart smart guy i'm the dumbest one in the family by far (laughs) not even close not even close that's why you went to boxing correct well even then my dad's like what are you doing like you are this is not for you like we'll see what about uh what about your kids you have any like you know thought about what they're gonna do like do you want to do you feel like you're gonna push them into sports or athletics sports is good or anything uh, comedy, you know, that's, they'll have to find that on their own. I mean, obviously I can help them out with certain things, but when it comes to sports, I do want to play sports, you know, the chance of making the NFL or NBA are not good, you know, and the chance of making the UFC, I don't want them to fight. I have no control. When they get older, you have no control. Sure. They gra- gravitate towards it because I watch everything. So, you know, so they'll watch it. So they, they love to wrestle and stuff like that. I take my son to jiu-jitsu after this. He excels in jiu-jitsu. I'm like, oh, fuck. But, um... <laughs> You know, there's not much you can do. Like if they if they have the knack for it, they're gonna do it. You know, so I can definitely give them some tips to here and there. But I just want them to get involved in sports at a young age because it's it's black and white, black and white. There's no politics involved with football or jujitsu or wrestling. It's very black and white. It doesn't matter how much money your dad has or how much money his dad has. The best play. Right. So th- I want them to learn that and discipline and hard work. And they're going to take some L's along the way. But I think it's a great lesson in life. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. yeah it's so, almost- they, you know, I'm not like, you know, this dictator dad, like, you got to play sports. If they, they want to be pain, it's great. As long as they have a passion. Because when a young man or w- woman doesn't have passion, that's when they get in trouble. Sure. So as whatever they're into, I'm going to ride with it. I don't that, care what it that's is. That's kind of what, um, actually, what Cal and I were talking about. He was just like, my best advice to young people is, like, learn a skill. Whatever skill it is. I wouldn't say skill. Just find your pet. Find something you're interested in. And run with it. Yeah, but, Take be, it as but far try as to get go. good at something. Sure. Is the point. It's yeah. Like, have something to strive for. Have something that makes you want to get up and work hard at something. Have like just find your passion and run with it. Yeah, yeah. as long as you can. Yeah, and see where it takes you. And you'll find something else out off of it. it might maybe you're not, you know, the next freaking, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, but then you start doing podcasts. Like actually like the I wanna be the guy behind the camera. You, sure. you get different sure. perspectives. You never know where it's gonna take you, but fucking run with it. Yeah. The, the, the medium, Don't have a plan B. The, the medium of podcasting seemed to be kind of like where you found your opportunity of it at least, right? I mean like you have yeah, like, how I put many my, shows now? Uh oof, how I many have, shows are you a host on and then how many shows are part of the network? Uh, let's see. So we have Fire and the Kid, 
Um, we have the Golden Hour, formerly known as King of the Sting. So Fine Kids, me and Brian Callen. Golden Hour is me, Chris D'Elia, Eric Griffin. Um, we have Shop Show, which is just me. We have Food Truck Diary, uh, Diaries, which is me and a, another fighter. And then we have the Cowbass Fight Companion. So we have five shows on the network. Yeah. Keeps you busy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I got I to find a way to eventually, like, cut it down. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how much I can be a CEO, like President Thick Boy, and the talent and yeah. stand up and all this and be a good dad and good husband. Like yeah. I told my girls, like how long do you think you can do this? Switch when I got my psoriasis. I'm like at this level I'm working at maybe another two, three years before I got to make some changes. So we'll see where it goes. What do you think the next move is? I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Rob, Rob Diedrich's a good buddy. When he came, he did the show and he's like, All right. He's like, see the network. And he's, Rob's talent, obviously ridiculousness. He crushed it on that, but Rob flips businesses and invests in businesses. He's the best. Got him on the show. He's that. the best. And he was just like, what's the plan? And he was like, I'm looking. He's like, it's probably worth this much. You could sell it for this. I'm like, Rob, you got to chill. <laughs> I said, this is this thick plane, thick boy network, this thick plane. We're just getting off the ground. We're a year in is very young. We're just getting off the ground. Let me get to cruising altitude. Let me get some Wi Fi and then I'll figure out the plan. But right now I'm just trying, I'm, I got blinders on. I just got to get this thing off the ground and let, then I'll figure out and I'll call you. Is the goal increased viewership on existing shows or is the goal to continue incubating talent and getting shows off the ground? I think eventually, um, you know, developing other talent stuff like that, that's tough to do. And Tom Segura, who's kind of my North Star, he has, you know, your mom's house and mm-hmm. he has his network. And he always told me, he goes, you'll find out how tough it is to start a new podcast. He goes, you'll realize that you have to be part of it. Because mm-hmm. if you, unless they have a built in audience, you know, whether it's a former fighter, stand up comedian, whatever it is, you realize starting a talent from nothing to something is the fucking tough, dude. Yeah. And it's not going to be worth your time. At the level you're operating at, it's not worth your time. Yeah, that's the crazy thing to me about, uh, like, what Barstool's been. Mm-hmm. They seem to be able. Like, they, they have a built-in a, audience, though. That they, they aud- and they hire talent that they know that audience is going to vibe with, and they're the best at it. And they consistently find good young talent mm-hmm. that they're actually funny. Well, because they're, they're pro- actually the, interesting. Because one of the the upsides of Barstool is they know what's going to work for their audience, and every single person that is up and coming funny wants to work for them. Mm-hmm. So you, they have a bigger pool to choose from. Sure, um, they're great that, at it. Is that is that kind of the goal for you? Is that level of of um of media attention i'd have to bring up bring on some help you know which which i'll probably do in the next year or two yeah, but like yeah. a president or a ceo or something maybe where i can back off a little bit in other shows where i'm not i don't have to be the talent yeah for sure that's exactly i mean that's the playbook we're running right now is i just submitted an offer letter we'll see if how it goes um for a president to come in and like run my, my agency that'd be great if i could step back that'd be great because i like i i love doing this this exact like just going out, meeting interesting people, having fun conversations, mm-hmm. um, and then figuring out how to turn it into money later. <laughs> you know, yeah, I would um, love for someone to come in and do that. You know, because uh, yeah, I could use some help. I'm I'm exhausted. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it it's just too much. You know? mm-hmm. And and like the, the the point where I got to, bro, was where I I started looking at some of my like most productive and wealthy friends. Where I was like, you know, this person's doing. $300 million this year mm-hmm. and they work less and seem much happier than I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but I bet if you went back a number of years, exactly. they were doing no, what totally. you were doing. Totally. Yeah. 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 No, they like, got to that point. That's success to me. The hustle, the hustle will get you to a certain place, but it will only get before you, so you break far. down. Yeah. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Because at some point, at some point your hours can literally not be duplicated. Correct. You have to be able to like bring on some other people who are as good or 
ideally much better than you. You want someone at the better. thing that you're trying to do. Yeah, because I'm a control freak. So they'd have to come on, know what the fuck they're doing, where I can fully trust them and don't have to Absolutely. worry about it. Yeah, yeah, which is hard to find. Uh, it's a needle in a haystack. Yes. A lot of money going through people like Tell that. me about and it. Trying to, yes. like, hey, look, let's bring yep. you on and sign a contract. Then 90 days later, it's like, hey, this what have you done? Yeah. <laughs> you know what would I mean? you say you do here? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. I've had many of those conversations. What would you say you do here? <laughs> Describe for <laughs> yeah. me what I'm paying. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So the, so the show is called Travis Makes Friends, dude. And the reason that we changed it to that is it used to, call, used to be called Build Your Network. And it was more or less about the, the whole idea is that. Your friends and the people that you hang out with will ultimately shape you, the person that you're going to become. Mm -hmm. Who you get around with the influences that, that you put around you will turn you into a new version of yourself, whether it's a positive or Yeah, you are who you hang out with. Yeah. Sure. That's why some of my son's friends are like, uh-uh. Yeah, absolutely not. Yes. Draw, not draw a line on that. Yeah. Um, so we, we rebranded the show called Travis Makes Friends because I've found the older I get, the more difficult it is to make like genuine friendship. When you're a kid, it's just damn so near impossible. When you're a kid, you're both into Legos. Yeah, right. Like, that's like, your common. Let's be best friends. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, right. We're, we hang out same school. Your yeah. friend, our parents are friends. That's right. easy. We play football. As grown men after 35, good luck, man. Yeah, that's and trusting people too. Exactly. That's, that's the exactly the point. Is like the, I've you, been burned so many times. You, there's so many people that you have no idea who they are, mm -hmm. and even if it's they seem fun, and a lot of times those are the people that are actually the worst ones, or that like are the best looking from the outside in terms of, you know, oh, they seem to have all their shit together. And then like four months later, it's like, oh, disaster. Yeah, this is not correct. Um, how do you view, how do you view making friends as an adult? Like, cause I, my thing is, is like, it's still an important part of life. You know, we're social creatures and, and do you have kids? I do. Yeah. How many? I got two. What my son is three, three and a half. My daughter is two. Nice. It's tough when you're a parent, cause you'll hang out with other parents. I'm a homebody. I'm in the mindset right now, hashtag no new friends. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, we'll be friends, but other than that, it's kind of, it's tough, man. It's tough. I don't go to dinners. Uh, I'm not going to go to your house, watch the ball game or fights. I don't do any of that. I like to be home with my kids, man. You know, so it's like, it's very fair. I have a good group of friends now. It's not a ton of them, small, smaller circle. Yeah. I have some, you know, people that I talk to, we're friends, but they're also busy too. So they get it. Right. So if, if you're that friend that needs a text every morning or if you call me, I don't call back and you get, you get butt hurt, probably don't need you in my life, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's tough. Yeah. It's really tough to make friends. For sure. When you have kids, dude, cause it's like you said, it's different. It's a different. Yeah. Like I had somebody of good friend of mine invited me over to their house for the Super Bowl yesterday. I just found myself staying at home with my kids. Oh, I have no desire. Yeah, because it was like this is this is like the first year of my son. I feel like my son actually understands what bit. was happening a little bit. But yeah. also, most of my friends know, and we're all the same. Most of my friends the same way. Like most of my friends now, we all work together. Like yeah. me and Brian, I can't remember last time we hung out outside the podcast studio. I mean, we're just in Austin together and spent the entire day like like two freaking partners just sure. strolling strolling the streets of Austin, chatting. You know, right. he's one of my best friends. Dalia's a good friend. Theo's a good friend. You know, Rogan's a good friend. But usually outside work, like all of us are so busy unless right. it's work related. But that's also our social time. Like work is our social time. So, sure. <laughs> I, excuse me, I check the box at work. I get all of it out, you know, so when I get home, it's all good. We yeah, don't need yeah. to go that's to dinner. Like you're not we just clocking did it. in at the No, we just did it. We just did a podcast. Yeah. Like <laughs> right. me and Rogan did a podcast for four hours. We're good. Right. We're right. good. Talked an hour after, had drinks, did our thing. We're good. Went to dinner. We're good. Yeah. Right. Everyone's busy, man. Everyone has kids. Right. Now that's, I mean, I think you said it right there kind of accidentally too, is that's the reason I tell a bunch of people to start a podcast. 
I tell a lot of like grown ass adults, just like, yeah, you just start a podcast, even if it gets zero listeners. Yeah. Just because it gives you an excuse to go out and connect with interesting people. For sure that you would normally never would. Yeah. And you're, you're building rapport around typically like a common area of interest because yes. your show is going to be about whatever, like we just had Andy stump on and he's talking about gun control i don't know fuck all about guns <laughs> i was into it though you know yeah. i was like hell yeah dude you know i don't know <laughs> whatever you say yeah, yeah hell yeah man let's storm the capital i don't know <laughs> you know yeah dude so that that's 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 what i would tell people is like start a podcast go to events find people that find people that are interested in the same stuff that you're interested in yeah, it's because I I've been done a lot of other people's podcasts. I just recently started doing other podcasts, which like gets me out of my comfort zone. Like yeah. I usually have a really strict schedule. I do my two shows on Monday, pick my kids up from school, but it's good every now and then get out of my comfort zone. Like I met you, you're a good dude, we have similar interests. We're gonna get a timeshare together, might hook up. I don't know, yeah. we'll see. But it's like, you know, it's like uh, it's good to also get out of your comfort zone too. So don't get me wrong. Like I'm home, I'm a homebody, yeah. wife and kids. If I'm not working outside, that's tough to get me out of the house, but it's also good to do stuff like this. I got to get better at getting out of my comfort zone. How long are you and the wife been together? Shit, man. Oh, over 10 years. Wow. I mean, we were dating them, you know, married, but dating around, yeah, right. 10 years now, I think. How's the, how's this whole thing been for her? Like the transition? I mean, cause obviously she's been with you since before any of this. Yeah, happened. she was in and that 800 home. square foot apartment I was yeah. leasing when I was fighting the UFC with no money, sleeping on the ground, uh, <laughs> and watching TV. The only thing I had was an iPad. I was like, you want to watch a movie? She's like, you don't have a TV. I'm like, I have an iPad. You have an iPad holder? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, it was me the whole time. Yeah. Like there, and I put, put a pillow and propped it up. She's like, this is so ghetto. I'm like, shut up. Uh, Joey McDonald's. Yeah. But she, uh, she's been w- with me since that to where we're at now. So, uh, yeah, she's a loyal woman. She's great. I, th- I think it's a lot for her because she didn't sign up for this. Sure. You know, I don't think she thought it was going to become what it has, you know, and being on the road and stuff like that, especially with two kids. So it's a lot. Credit to her. I'm, and I'm difficult to deal with, man. 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. You got to be a little bit crazy to pull all this shit off. So she has her hands full. You got any, God uh, bless her. <laughs> you got any uh, relationship advice for people? Ooh. I mean, relationship from my perspective, like, you know, don't forget it's not all about work, you know? Mm-hmm. You still got to put the time in at home and make the, make them a priority. You don't want to forget about, you know, what got you to the dance. You yeah, know, yeah. you've had this great supporting group, so you don't want to leave them behind because they're the ones you need to worry about. So it's like, you know, I had a buddy who was like, oh, let's go to Miami and we'll do this content with Kosh 6 9 I was like, first of all, I'm 39 years old. <laughs> I, I got kids. I'm not flying to Miami to do a TikTok with Takashi 6 9 You know, it's like I got to be home, man. If it's not really important – and you know, paying my mortgage, yeah. I'm probably not coming, man. Yeah, you know, right. especially not for that. No, 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 no. But the good thing is, like, all my close friends, they're the same as me. Yeah, we're still really close, and when we work together, that's our social hour. But it's like it's rare, you know. They'll be like, "Hey, you want to come overnight for some beers?" I don't think I've ever had a friend. I've not, I've never asked a friend. What? Excuse me, sir. <laughs> Excuse me for what you know? Yeah, what's your door? Are there podcast door? reads? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is it sponsored by Blue Apron? You know, <laughs> is BetterHelp.com sponsoring this hangout? No, then I'm not coming over. <laughs> yeah, but it's tough. You got to find that balance. It can't be all business, you know? Right, right, right. Exactly. It's yeah. tough to do that, brother. It is tough. Yeah, you got to. At the end of the day, you know, I feel like your happiness and meaning is all tied to the quality of the relationships that you have. Whether it's family, your wife, your kids, or friends, hundred percent. And especially as a dude, I think you need that. 
you know, you need to bro out every once in a while. And, uh, and I get, I get that with, with stand up. Like now it's since the pandemic and like Rogan and Tom, like everyone went their separate ways. And even if they're still in LA, it's just the scene's a little different, but man, that was the, the golden ages. I think the thing I learned now, especially since the pandemic, it's like nothing lasts forever. Nothing, man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was just naive. I was like, Oh, well, I'm be, we're going to be doing this, hanging out like all Rogan, Joey Diaz, Dalia, Brian, Theo, like this is what we're going to do for the rest of our life. This is the best life ever. And that's like, no man, there's curveballs life throws at you. Like, and that's all good. Yeah. Like with King and this thing, like Theo m- moved to Nashville and he, we both thought we could pull it off. He's like, I'll just zoom in and I'll fly back every other week. But eventually it's like, fuck, it's like, this I, is a lot, man. <clears throat> and he's like, and I me- I'll never forget this. Theo gave me great advice. He's like, it's okay, man. We had such a good time. We built something so special. You were my best friends. It's all good, dude. It's yeah. ran its course. I was like, yeah, you're right, dude. He's like, go run over with Dilly and Eric Griffin. It's all good, dude. Yeah. I was like, you're right. It is all good. Like, how long are we going to do this? Right. He's like, how, right. how long do you want to do this, man? Yeah. Like, you're right, brother. Um, I'm curious, dude. I know we're, we're coming close to time, so I don't want to be disrespectful here. Um, so I want to kind of wind it down with a couple quick questions for you. Eight inches. Um, <laughs> wait, that's bigger I don't know. Okay. I'm just saying. All right. Um, okay. You have stepped into the cage and you have stepped onto the stand-up mm-hmm. stage. Which of those two is scarier? I've, I've got, when I was coming up, I get this question so many times when I do press, like at radio, but at least it's coming from you. You know, like, cause they'd be like, are you okay, Brent? What's tougher in fight inside that I gun or stand up? Go, you know, like every, I'd be like, Oh my God, but I don't mind it now. Um, uh, they're, they're so completely different. Like step inside that hot gun is so terrifying. Like the most terrifying, it's a great rush. If you win, if you lose it's the worst thing in your life, it's just so scary. So stand up. I like, I can do a set tonight at the laugh factory, eat shit and run over to the improv and redeem myself and use bits. I know are going to work. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just so different, but there's nothing scarier or there's no worse gig in the world than getting punched in the face in your underwear on, you know, national TV, <laughs> especially when you lose. So that's still, that's still the winner. Toughest thing I've ever done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, stand up's fucking tough, man. Don't get me wrong. They're just so completely different. Yeah. I was going to, I think I actually, I think I asked that question to Brian Cowan. I was like, you did? I, I, He's I, I, never, ever, ever. Done athletics at no, all. No, 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 oh, no, 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 not that. Gotcha. No, if no. he pretended he was a fight on a show, <laughs> I'm gonna freak the fuck out. Or if he pretended he was like in the special ops or yeah. some shit, which he's so into, I'll kill him. No, no, no. It was something about um uh oh I was setting it up because I was just like, I feel like of all the things I've done, like door to door is just so much rejection and it's so emotionally exhausting. No one's watching though. But but that's what I was gonna say was that like I feel like stand up and acting. If there's anything that has more rejection, it's auditions. Yeah, I've done auditions, I, and that's whatever, because you know like your chance of getting are so small. Yeah. Stand-up's tough if you're on a big show and you're trying new stuff out, or for whatever reason the crowd's not feeling you, and the guys before you did great, and then you eat dick. Like It's a real special talent to be like, all right, well, better go figure that this sucked. out. Yeah, that sucked <laughs> ass. I guess I'm doing it like, again bombing's tomorrow. the worst, dude, but... Nothing worse than flying to Brazil for a major pay per view fight and getting knocked out in your underwear. Oof. You know, like yeah. that. There's no, there's no lower, lower than that. That's <laughs> the worst. You know, there's nothing worse. And of course, fans remind you, remember this? It's yeah, like, bro, right. that was 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget. You're yeah. Like, all right. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all, it's to match 
and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I love how it's the fans too that are like 240 pounds overweight. Yeah, yeah. Eating, eating Doritos, watching the fight on their seventh beer. And yeah. Like, you suck. They're the most critical. You're like, yeah. okay, yeah. okay. Step yeah. into the ring. Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brian, what's up, dude? Welcome to the show. It's good to be here, and it's good to be your friend. I look forward to working on our friendship over the next <laughs> hour. Uh, there's nothing I enjoy more than creating intimacy with another man <laughs> in a sky blue shirt with that kind of a beard and a barrel chest. I knew that was the type of person that, that you are. You're damn right. And that's right. why I'm here. You're yeah. damn right. Friendship's interesting, isn't it? It's like, <clears throat> I was thinking about that. I think you connect, you connect, men connect on two different ways. I think they connect uh, one in <clears throat> how they, um, I think, it, how much they laugh with each other. You yeah. know, that's a bonding experience. But also, probably you connect when you're doing something difficult together. Yes. You know? Yes. War. Totally. Military shit. Yeah. You know, being on a uh, the on the same team, the struggle, yeah. the, the the shit work. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're when you're somewhere you don't want to be, but you're yeah. suffering together. Right. That shit creates a bond. Yeah, I was uh, <clears throat> mentioned that like two three months ago. I'm I'm basically at this point fully recovered, but uh, a couple friends of of mine and I did a, a 38 mile run. Jesus Christ! From dude. midnight to 9 a.m. took the me almost nine hours what and that's exactly what happened but what you're talking about is like that why did we do this you know what who got us into this fucker to begin with mile run 38 mile run yeah. yeah and i was not very well trained for it you know as you can tell i'm a fairly bulky person i was i didn't have any business doing long distance running um my toenail just nobody fell has off any, like, nobody has any business running 38 miles <laughs> like 26 yeah. miles life is too short to run 26 <laughs> Not hey, let's tack on another twelve. Anybody want to run another twelve? Was twenty six not enough? The answer was no, yeah. and the answer was yes. The fucking story enough. of the marathon was he dies at the end. He ran twenty six miles to tell him the Spartan 
Spartans were coming or whoever, and he <laughs> fucking died. You want to do another 12? Uh, that's what human beings Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for some reason. And specifically, that's what dudes do. I had a guy who he was swam from Catalina Island to Santa Monica. Now, Catalina Island is out. Yeah. And just, just so you know, there are. that's where the big gray whites hang out. That's yeah. where the 22-footers <laughs> hang out. That's where they're all just... You know, swimming around, eating sea lions, elephant seals, whatever the fuck they eat out there. And he swam, he, he started, he started at 11 p.m. So he's like, I'm going to swim at night and swam uh, from 11 p.m. and got there at 7 a.m. Like, and then he goes, would love to get you in the water with me sometime. Something <laughs> about like a pool. Hey, bro. <laughs> yeah. Hey, bro. I'll be in the boat. And it better be a big boat. <laughs> And I'll be in a in a warm poncho with donuts and fucking cocoa, going doing stuff like this. You got it, you got it. And if it's at night, I won't be. Yeah. I'll be napping, and I'll wake up at seven maybe with the sun. Oh, Groggy, fucking get out of here. Get out of here with your long swim. Oh, uh, dude, it's so funny uh, that um, men tend to be that way. Uh, I, I do. I do want to go back in time and build a little bit of context before we jump into some other things here. Um, you have a fascinating story and I didn't even know everything about it until I was doing a lot of prep work for this interview. And I was like, Jesus Christ, dude, how many countries have you lived in? How many places have you been to? So for people who don't know, you were born in the Philippines Mm -hmm. and I'm not even going to try to piece the puzzle together from there. Can you take us to that? uh, Calcutta in, in India. Then we moved to Bombay, um, which is now Mumbai in India and then, uh, Lebanon and then Pakistan then Lebanon again, and the war broke out. And I watched, I watched, even as a kid, I saw, <clears throat> I saw that country change mm. under war. It was only six months. But I saw, um, <clears throat> I saw we, we were going to buy a house or move into a house, and we weren't able to. You know, I just saw everything change, you know. Yeah. And then uh, we were evacuated to Greece. And you, then just military family. Banking. Correct. Banking. Banking. Yeah. Okay. And then. From, I mean, you know, everybody's like, oh, you dead work for the CIA? Who knows? But, you know, <laughs> who knows? Hey, listen, you keep waking up free every morning. He'll do what he does. All right. <laughs> and then we moved to, from, from Greece to Saudi Arabia. And then my parents stayed in Saudi Arabia. And then they were in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, different parts of the Middle East. And I, I went to boarding school in Massachusetts because you couldn't go to high school in Saudi Arabia back then. Foreigners couldn't go. Really? So school ended in, by wow. eighth grade. So all of us had to be shipped That's off. Wild. Yeah, you had a choice between <laughs> Switzerland, or you know, or the United States. You know, or if you came from, it was such an international school. So everybody just kind of, it was a diaspora. We were just, you know, you just lost. So for me, saying hello and goodbye constantly. Yeah, was tr- was chaos. Yeah, no and maybe even a little traumatic. And but so, so I you moved. So you went to Massachusetts when you were fourteen. Yeah. Was this the first time you were in the states? Yes. Wow. I'd been, I'd visited, but only like two weeks at a time. But your parents were from the States or no? My parents were from the States. Okay. So you so spoke I, English. It was still. Yeah. Like, yeah. English is my first language. Yeah. So I, I didn't know how to add, like do little things. Like I'd never watched TV, like American TV. I didn't know much about sports. Mm. I never watched, you know, I didn't have a team. Yeah. I didn't know how to address an envelope. Little weird shit like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and when you're moved around constantly like that, even in the middle of the year, you miss chunks of your education sure you really do you get these knowledge gaps yeah you don't take grammar like grammar they forgot you (laughs) you don't know there's just all kinds of shit that happens man and and i think when you're a kid like me who suffered from a form of adhd you know they didn't diagnose it back then but certainly i was um 
I, I think the stress and the the lack of consistency didn't help a kid with my brain. Yeah, you know, and but God bless, thank God, because my compensation was to be funny and yeah, all sure, that shit, so, yeah. sure. I was going to ask, is that you look kind of at that time in your life as like a neutral did it give you an advantage to give you a disadvantage i think anything any kind of struggle if if you're if you're um if you are taught how to navigate it if you have support from an adult Mm. you can't just have throw a child into you know chaos without real love and support parents in the pool fathers and and mothers yeah yeah disaster but I think, you know, I think it was Nietzsche who said, for my children, I wish nothing but loss and depravity mm. because it's, it's only the blessed, you know, are, are so, you know, th- there is that idea that whatever you go through, you'll be, you'll be thankful for. It. And if you're not, you have to orchestrate your life so that you are thankful for it. Mm. But I certainly would never change it. The, op- the opposite of victimhood. Yeah. Victimhood. But my sister was not that way. My sister lived that way, but she did. She, it didn't affect her the same way it did me. Hmm. I don't know in, in what way. Who knows? My sister is very stable, very kind of like feet on the ground. Mm. And and I was born with a, an imagination. Yeah. And, you know, and so who knows what I would have been. Maybe, maybe it, I don't know how much of it is nurture and how much of it is nature. Sure. Yeah. That's know? kind of the question, right? Yeah. It's like the, psycho- the psychology behind that, where your sister basically goes the opposite way yeah. and, and seeks <clears throat> the stability that she didn't have. And then you just kind of embraced the chaos yeah, and well, continued in it? My father is, she's more like my father. My father could live in all those countries and never speak a word of the language, which yeah. is baffling to me. My mother would go there and immerse herself in the culture and learn the language. She speaks mm. Arabic, French, Spanish. You know, the, these were the things, Italian. She yeah. would put herself in those. She spoke Urdu. She, she really worked at wow. not, only, not only speaking the language, but making sure that uh, we as children were surrounded by the people of that country and ate that food. We didn't eat American food. Yeah. My mother was like, I'm going to eat what the Pakistanis eat. I'm going to eat what the Indians eat. I'm going to eat what the Filipinos eat. I'm going to eat what the Greeks eat. And so, and my father, to his credit, understood the value of that. Yeah. Was she working <clears throat> as well? No. Okay. She was just raising us. Okay. But dad was just kind of this elusive job career. Always that, gone. Yeah. <clears throat> Always gone. You know, gone. And then, but, 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 but my father deserves credit because I knew he cared about me yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. That was always what was instilled. So even though he was gone a lot, um, and the irony is I'm gone a lot too. Right? I was going to say, yeah. yeah. How does that I'm, affect? I'm, I'm, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's tough yeah. because um, comedians will tell you that. It's, it's tough. You miss a lot. Yeah. But it's but it listen. It's only on the weekends, yeah. and I and I get to make people laugh. So <laughs> yeah, well, it's also you know <clears throat> uh, Monday at ten a.m. and you're home mm-hmm. with your family, right? Exactly. Like you, you, that's awesome. There, there's there's a lot of I don't know. It, that's a conversation I've had a lot recently with my wife. You know, we have two kids. <clears throat> I'm thirty. She's about to be thirty one, and we're traveling a lot constantly for work and stuff. And you know, it's it 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 hits you harder when your kids are like you know, when, when your, when your kids get old enough, start asking you, you know, like, Hey, why are you, why are you leaving or yeah. where are you going? You know, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah, man. But, well, but they, we try to at least explain to them, you know, like I'm doing this so that we can have this version of life that yeah. most people don't ever get That's to right. experience. And because I don't like to settle. And I think that there's a lot of value in that as well. There's a huge amount of value in that because you're setting an example for your children yeah. of excellence. And I think you have to live your your life. I think when you use your children as an excuse not to live your life, I think that's a huge fuck you. Totally. I think that's I, a I disservice. Don't, I don't agree as with a parent. That. Yeah. So 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 then I suppose you're there. But you know, again, there's if your children understand that you're 
you love them and that you're setting an example, yeah. I think there's a great deal of value in that. I don't know. Every child is different and every situation is different. But. Sure. Sure. As long as you get the main things across of like, I love you, I care for you. And I do these things. Well, truth, you know, I mean, you want to do this. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I realized that I hated acting. Mm. I hate it. I just, I don't like the process. I don't like it. Yeah. You know, and I worked so hard at being good at it um, for years. And then when, when I finally realized, I don't like this. I'm just going to do stand-up. That's where I really feel alive. Mm. That's the best feeling in the world, when I get to write my own stuff yeah. and wrestle with being original and then put <laughs> it up on stage. Yeah. There's nothing like that. Yeah. I don't miss acting even a little bit. Really? Yeah. That's funny. How so, long did it take you to realize that? 50 fucking years, man. Really? I, didn't, I didn't accept that until I was 53. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's fucking amazing how you get older and you're like, it, it takes me, it, the frustrating thing about life is, it t at least for me, I'm such a slow learner. Mm. I've been wrong more than I've been right by far. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's humbling. I was listening to an interview you did, uh, I think it was recent, um, and you were mentioning how uh, Joe Rogan was called you or something and said he was going to quit acting. And oh, at the yeah. time, it kind listened. of blew your mind. Yeah, Joe was always ahead of the curve that way. That motherfucker could, he would just, he was always telling me to just stop for, uh, for as long as I can remember. He's like, fucking stop acting. Yeah. You know, fucking do stand up. But I mean, back then though, like having a sitcom and was like, th like there was, was no everything. YouTube, there's no, all there, there's, there's no podcast. I know, but he saw in me that I wasn't that guy. He hmm. saw that I was a comic. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just never fucking, you know, I should, if I had listened to Joe, like, this is a weird thing to say. I've never really said it. But if I think if I had listened to him, like really listened to what he said about just focusing on stand up and being my own person, Joe had to be his own person. Mm. Joe grew up without a dad. So Joe had to, he had to be his own person. The world, without going into detail, at nine years old for Joe, the world got, became a very dangerous place. And he realized that the only person he could rely on was himself. Mm. I never had that realization. I never had that. I yeah. always had a whole infrastructure of family I sure. could rely on. That's not, that's not a service because it allows you to bullshit yourself for a long time. Kind of faith in the system instead of faith in yourself. Yeah, it allows you to kind of like, it, it allows you to not grow up all the way. Mm. And I don't think you yeah. grow up, you grow up, you know, there's that, that you grow up completely when you realize there's that Instagram thing where the woman, I don't know who she was. She was like, nobody's coming. No one's coming. Mm. Nobody's coming. This is you, man. You stand on your own two feet. And, and the people that I've seen that really do great things realize that very, very early on. And it came from some kind of trauma, which goes back to what I'm saying about if you understand how to navigate loss or mm -hmm. navigate, you know, chaos trauma you 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 uh th that way lies the gold sure i don't think comfort um necessarily makes for um a dynamic human being yeah or strong people yeah. with real values yeah that... this is this is this is nothing new that we're saying but yeah. you know but i i i understand it deeply how, how do you think <clears throat> of that when it comes to parenting cuz th this is like one of the biggest dichotomies for me as a dad cuz as a dad you you want to give your kids everything, but in giving them everything, you're taking away a lot of things from them. I think, how, how do you, how do you 
you know, life is like, a kick in the nuts. Like it's not a good thing to be a shitty dad so that they have trauma to work through that makes them yeah, stronger, but, right? I mean, yeah, like, but you know, Newt Gingrich was on Jordan Peterson's podcast and he said something to the effect of, I come from a generation, the last two generations uh, are, are of parents who, who believe that their kids have to like them. My mother did not raise us that way. And he used a couple examples of people. And it's true. I'm not your fucking friend. Yeah. I'm your parent. Mm. And so I'm going to make you do shit that sucks. Mm. And my, my buddy does this. He says to his kids, and his three kids are crushing it. And he goes, they're like, no, you know, and he's like, I love you enough to be harder on you yeah. than the things you're going to face. So do it. And so, in my opinion, again, it goes back to, I'm here, I love you, mm. I'm your rock, I'll never go anywhere, but you're going you're gonna to do the things I tell you to do. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to finish things you started. You're going to get good at something. Yeah. I say that to my son. My daughter, I, I need no, my daughter, I don't need any um, uh, motivation for that, that gal. She's 14 and she's just like, I want to be a scientist, an engineer. I want to be a singer. I want to be a tennis player. I want to be 50,000. And she's doing them all. And it's like, gee, I, I, and, and she talks about college. Yeah. Now I won't get into a college. I'm like, ah, you're 14. <laughs> don't talk. She's not allowed to talk about college. I, I lose my mind. I go, I don't want to hear about college. Okay. How about having a little fun, a little joy in your life? You're like, you're out. barely not she's, a kid anymore. Dude, yeah. She's type A, man. Type A. <laughs> competitive like if it's not a competition she don't want to do it she gets it from her mother she gets it from my dad it's all good so i don't have to worry about that girl at all she's a monster um in a good way my son is exactly like me the, the escape escape artist houdini uh, fucking man. houdini it's like so i gotta i gotta i gotta crack the whip yeah i gotta crack the whip and he'll come in my I, my my wrist i fell on my wrist so right now that my stomach is a little queasy i had to i'm like that's cool. Your feelings don't matter here. Okay. <laughs> this is not a democracy. This is a monarchy. Yeah. I'm the king and you're giving me my fucking half hour of boxing or working out, yeah. whatever we're going to do, but you're going to get good at something. Yeah. Cause I can see that you have the same brain that I do, which is you want to take path of least resistance. That's mm. my problem. Yeah. And the only reason I'm somewhat successful is because of my ego, you know, I'm not impressed with myself. I'll tell you that much. Mm. You know, so you look at what motivates you and it's like, I don't know. Yeah. That's super interesting that you would, because uh, in, from a third party objective standpoint, it would seem like you are the person that kind of strives for excellence all the time, all the time. and pushes yourself. But I you're saying. I want to be good at, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't bear not being good. Yeah. It's an alpha mentality. Sure. sure. I, I hate that alpha beta shit, but I, but I would always come into, like if it was a wrestling room or it was a. Whatever it was, I was like, "Well, I can't be JV. I yeah, got to be varsity, right? right, right, right. Or I got to be, I got to be the guy they're talking about. No matter what the fuck happens, I got to figure out a way to be in the conversation. No matter yeah. what, yeah. E you know, even with boxing, when I started boxing, like I was too old and I was getting hit too much. I was getting dizzy. Mm. But Wayne McCulloch was like, "You're such a fighter." Because in my mind, I'd get hit and I'd, I would fucking obsess. Yeah. I was like, "I'm gonna punch that dude. I'm gonna knock that fucking guy." And it's <laughs> it's an outrageous thing to say when you're when you're not a, when you're 50 whatever I was 50 years old and also not a boxer and also not, not a tough guy. But I know that if I had started when I was really young. I would I would have CTE now because totally yeah anything you do you know I, I would have had to figure out my way and I wouldn't yeah. have been as fast or strong so I would have had to I don't know who knows and I probably would have failed yeah but but I think that's a that's a personality trait did did you play sports growing up yeah okay yeah. What, which ones I was mostly a wrestler okay gotcha yeah 
didn't, which is a nightmare. Didn't pursue it much. No, I went to a, I went to uh, a, you know D one school to wrestle. I went to American okay. University, and then um, I think I went to Dan Gable's wrestling camp in Iowa. And uh, if anybody knows about that, it's a nightmare. It's a fucking nightmare. They train you. They train you, quote unquote, like a champion. Mm. And I and I remember I went to college and I saw one of the kids walking, and he had. He was like hundred and he's probably hundred in the hundred and sixty two pound whatever, but just thick as shit. Probably yeah. walked around at one ninety. Yeah, and I could see his ears, and he was like a senior, and he was walking like this. His body looked like up, <laughs> and I was just like, and I, and I thought to myself, I could see the suffering on his body. Yeah, and I knew what do you want at age twenty? I knew what the <laughs> yeah. fuck it was going to be. I knew I was going to be waking up at five thirty in the morning, running sprints for an hour. Right. I knew I'd be wrestling twice a day, yeah. and I and I and I knew I'd be sucking weight. And I knew what that pain was. And I looked at him and I was like, at the end of this, what's going to happen? Yeah. I'm going to be able to shoot a double leg really well and, and, and do those things. Now, what I should have said to myself was, if I can get through four years of a D1 program, and American wasn't a big D1 program. Mm-hmm. If I can get through four years of any program, wrestling program in college, then it would have, um, it would have been amazing. It would yeah. have been in every way. All the benefits that come from that are, are intangible. You can't explain it. So my regret, I, oh, I have one regret and that's not wrestling in college. But mm. what I didn't say is I, I got into kickboxing and, you know, Taekwondo. Gotcha. Cause I saw these guys punching each other and kicking each other. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that. Where was the aspiration for like comedy and acting and all that stuff? I just, the only thing I was good at, I wasn't good at like martial arts. So you did it immediately? Like I was in never going to be a great athlete. I wasn't going to be a yeah. good wrestler. If I'd gone to American, no matter what I did, I bet you I would have been too weak. Well, what were, what were you studying at American? Um, I, I was a history major. Okay. I know. But but I but I mean again, I knew early on I was never gonna be a great athlete. Yeah. I was not strong enough. I'm not not, not I don't have the mentality. Yeah. I, mean, I maybe I had the mentality to wrestle and I again that competitive spirit, but there were guys that were just always gonna there was no fucking way right, I was right. gonna be on a certain went, level in athletics, raw talent combined with hard work beats yeah. beats exclusively hard work. Well, I've talked to I've talked to Ben Askren who doesn't believe in talent, which is you know, he he was obsessed with wrestling and mm. But I, I, I wasn't that way, and uh, I didn't have Ben Askren's mind, and I certainly yeah. was never gonna, you know. So I, I just maybe I didn't love it enough. Maybe I wasn't. Maybe I was. I think I'm inherently moderate at the same time physically. Sure. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna train eight hours a day and right, you know, right. and then have two fake hips and two fake knees like well, Dan Gable. Right, exactly. That's part of the journey, though. Right, is doing stuff Learning. and figuring out that. Yeah, maybe that's not for me. And then pivoting and moving a different direction. I always say that. I always say that like sports are important for at least men because you learn how tough you're not. Yeah, right, right, right. That's fucking huge, dude. <laughs> yeah, or what you're willing to do to be. That, that's the that's the thing for me is anything worth having is going to be a struggle to get. Yeah, anything in life. You'll never hear me say, "Man, I would have been a Navy SEAL." Yeah. There, I know I couldn't make it. First of all, I'd, the bell. I'd get too yeah. cold. I'd, I'd, I'd fucking, I'd get it's a lack of sleep for me, man. All of it. The lack of sleep All thing. Of I'd have been like, I'm out. I gotta yeah. take a nap. I mean, if you've ever been around guys like Tim Kennedy or the, you know, Mike Glover, you're just like, yeah. they're, they're fucking smart as shit. Yeah. And they, they just have a different engine. Right. It's like, right. you're not cold. Most of my, the, this guy, Mike uh, Ritland the other day, uh, uh, Rittler, I think. Um, and he, he's, uh, he trains, you know, uh, police dogs okay. and I do this series called best of and I had this dog you know kind of launch on my arm but um he was a navy seal I'm in four layers in Dallas because it was 37 degrees he's in a fucking t-shirt rolled up <laughs> and just talking to me for an hour an hour and a half I go are you not cold he goes what I go you're not cold and he goes I don't know I, just, I didn't notice it I go well that's why I'm a pussy 
That's why you were a Navy SEAL and I'm an actor in four layers. So I'll, I'll never be happy because I'm ultimately not tough. So when, when you were in college, was the goal acting at that point? I think, I think I wanted so badly to be liked. I think hmm. that's a huge part of, again, what drove me was not admirable. I think I just wanted to be loved. And I saw, I think I saw a tennis player and all these people were all over him. Um, I think it was uh, Masvilander or someone. And I just was like, I want to be admired like that. Mm. I want to be different. I want to be, I want to be special. I want to be the kind of person they talk about, not who's taught. I, I didn't want to be a spectator. Mm. I wanted to be the person out there. And I got to taste that from wrestling. Yeah, You're alone out there on that mat. And I, I had done things as a kid. I was very driven. I, I, I had accomplished certain things like in judo, little things like that, that I didn't expect to accomplish. So I got a taste of, you know, I, I will say that um, somehow I could run for a long distance. I won a race. I remember when I was a 12 or 11 yeah, yeah. and I beat the adults or 12. I don't know what I was, but 13, maybe 14. But I, I ran and I, and I, I, th I couldn't understand. And I realized I finished second and I, I was like, oh, I did. I had no idea. Yeah. Or when I was a, uh, I was in eighth grade and I won, this is fucking hilarious to even talk about this, but I won most athletic kid in school when I was in eighth grade. I was so shocked. I was so shocked. I didn't know what they, she said, Brian Cullen. And I didn't move. Yeah. And I said to my mother, so, I, go, well, that I sounds won like most money, athletic. Yeah. And my mother goes, well, you're very coordinated. <laughs> hey, okay, I guess. It was the fucking craziest thing. And I think it was eighth grade. I don't fucking remember. Maybe it was sixth grade. Who cares? But the point is, I remember those feelings of yeah. being singled out. Yeah. And I said, I want to be that over this. But then I realized the, I'm not good in anything. I, I, I don't know. What am I going to be? What am I good at singling? I don't know anything. But I, I, I was so moved by movies. Mm. And I go, I want to do that. And then I saw uh, Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. Yeah. And I saw Bruce, I listened to Springsteen songs for the first time. And I go, whatever's going on inside me when I listen to those songs, that poetry. Yeah. And whatever's going inside me, going on inside me when I watch Robert De Niro, I didn't know who he was, transform his body. Yeah. I was so blown away and so moved by the story, uh, you know, that I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I just needed to somehow either be a part of it, create it, the, you know, the mystery. The mystery of, is that, is that for me? Mm. Could I do that? And there's like the idea that I was going to be a stand-up comic. I mean, what? Hey, Brian, <laughs> why don't you try being a senator? Uh, you know, it's an outrage. It's just as outlandish. Yeah. yeah. So, so anytime you have this dream, a lot of times it's like, you know, I was talking to Adam Duritz, who's the lead singer of Counting Crows. Yeah. And he said, when I was younger, I was just so desperate to be heard. And I was like, that's, that's it. That's right. That's right. So maybe I was just, I was, I was desperate to see if I could distinguish myself. I was desperate. I was desperate to see if I could be as unique as I felt or, or I just didn't want to be ordinary. Yeah. Why? That, that, that's the question I've been asking a lot lately because <clears throat> great question. people, people can grow up in the same exact situation to the same parents in the same environment and end up on two totally different paths. And I've tried to ask myself that question because I feel very similar in terms of there's just, I don't, I can't explain. I don't know why it just kind of, there's something in me that just makes me want more well, things. You're getting into, you're getting into religion here a little bit mm. because, or philosophy, let's say, because, um, 
you see, I, the, the why when you're young is status, power, sex, attention, um, dominance, mm. whatever it is, right? You, you just want to be the person with the resources. Yeah. And you want to be the person uh, who has got the adulation. Yeah. The guy. Oh, yeah. The guy. Yeah. I think life humbles you. And I think what happens is you realize that no matter who you are, you're going to lose all that. And that that's a fool's errand. Mm. I, I, you're excused for the trance and the spell it casts on you as a young person. But I think that as you get to be my age, you start to realize that that's not, uh, that's not the goal. Mm. The goal is to do these things and to try to be original in your expression for its own sake. Because you're never more, you're never more yourself than when at play. I'm I'm quoting um, uh, Schiller right now, that, uh, because um, and and when when he said you're never a man is never more at himself than when at play. What he was talking about is when you're doing that, not not hookers in an eight ball, <laughs> you know, but when you're doing that, that in that which you would do for its own sake, something yeah. you would do for free, sure, right. And so then you start to, the, the goal is to let go of yourself uh, in a way to prepare for your own inevitable demise and, and uh, ultimate extinction, your death. Mm. I, I, want, I, want to, I want to, as Socrates said, I want to treat my own body and my own appetites with a quiet contempt. I don't want to be attached to any sensation. Mm. And uh, maybe that's something, maybe I'm getting closer <laughs> to the idea of what God is. Or certainly being closer to that which I cannot measure and that which is much larger than myself. Yeah. And I don't have to define it. In fact, in many religions, it would be heretical to try to define it, right? It's why, it's why the Jews and the, the, the Muslims don't have, you know, saints and, 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 you know, iconography and things in their, in their temples and in their mosques because that would be considered um, the worship of false gods. Right. Hmm. And, and, and I think um, maybe maybe the the greatest lesson in the, in at least a Judeo Christian ethic is don't worship false gods. The Israelites were constantly being punished for worshiping false gods, hmm. including the fact they were like, we need a leader. And God was like, I gave you the Ten Commandments. I'm your leader. Yeah. Really? OK, that's what you guys want to do. <laughs> Fuck off. And he gave them one leader after another. It never worked. Yeah. But there, there are lessons in that. The Book of Kings, the Book of Judges, and stuff like that. Mm. That, that. That's literally the whole Jewish Bible, or at least the Old Testament, I should sure, say. Sure, sure. It's like just that lesson of you guys keep <clears throat> you guys keep looking for the answers over here, where 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 man lives, as opposed to over the things here. that you can consciously conceive. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. It's an it, it's an it's a it's a philosophy or a faith or a um, yeah a, a system of belief that I'm very intrigued by as yeah. I get older. Because you can you can read philosophy like you know every time I talk to like uh, Silicon Valley guy mm -hmm. you know just there are a lot of people I know who are into longevity a lot of guys my <laughs> age who are into longevity yeah. you know what I mean they want to yeah bro they want to biohack so they can live fucking till they're 150 <laughs> so they can look at themselves in the mirror when their skin is when they look like a fucking Halloween porch decoration and they go they they want to go I need another 50 years. <laughs> You know, okay. If I could look twenty five dollars, one hundred and fifty, I guess I'd become a master pianist and guitarist. I don't know what the fuck. I, I understand the impulse to live forever. I want to too. Yeah. 
but you know that that kind of that sort of um self that 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 love of oneself is a form of idolatry mm. yeah and it doesn't it doesn't really well, it tends to be with people who are the least religious. That's what I'm saying yeah. is that you're going to, you're going to get religious about something else. Sure. It's, and, and, and so every time I talk to the Silicon Valley people, but you talk to them about meditation or even prayer, whatever that is. Yeah. The, the, the first question they, they ask is how has, has, does that boost your productivity? What's that on a percentage scale? What yeah, would you where's say? the spreadsheet? Shut the fuck Shut. up. <laughs> Shut up. You, I don't care about, you shouldn't care about you. You know, if I, <laughs> fucking, now I, I eat a certain way. I, I intermittent fast. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I want to die. Those are the people I admire. Martin Luther King and Gandhi uh, and Malcolm X and Jesus Christ and all the people people admire and the Buddha. They weren't. They weren't. Um, they weren't eating. They weren't like I have abs actually uh, because what I'm doing now is I'm intermittent fasting. I'm taking this drug that tends to lengthen my telomeres. <laughs> I can't stand it. You're get get the fuck out of here. A bus is gonna hit you. Yeah. You're gonna fucking yeah. die. That is the crazy and part. You might beat me by a year, but I doubt it. By the way, you fucking right. hack. Yeah. You 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 biohacker. No, that is that is the crazy thing. Not to get too somber or serious, but my one of my best friends from growing up, <clears throat> his mom was in mid fifties. Last week, two weeks oh. ago, got in a car accident. And didn't make it. Happens all the time. And it was just brother. like a. It was one of those because you do. You know, you, you try to stay healthy, go to the gym, sure. work out, and then you and get pancreatic cancer. It, but yeah. you never had a Out drink of or a cigarette in your right. life. That's right. what life is. Yeah. That's Friend what I grew up is. with. She was twenty seven, twenty eight. Got um got can four uh, stage four stomach cancer. She died diagnosed, and she's a nurse, super healthy. That's right. A nurse. That's and. Passed away yeah. like two years ago. Yeah, that's called life. In her 20s. And people should study how that happens, and they should study how to stop that, and they should use their own bodies again. Sure, big. I, sure. I respect all of it. Sure. Just please understand, nobody gets out of this thing alive. At the end of the day, right, right. And and and, and The great equalizer. Yeah. 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 I don't know. You know? Um, so I think that's that's probably, there's it's nothing wrong with trying to be as healthy as you can and optimizing, but it can't be the only thing. So on another note, I uh, saw something you said about two questions that that you've really tried to answer in your life or two questions that you think matter, which is what is courage and what is being a man? Mm. Have you found answers to those questions and how do you think about them? You know, I did a podcast again with this guy, Mike uh, Rittler, who, uh, Ritland, I'm so bad. Let me look at this. He's a, he's a great guy and he's got a... Um, it's called Tri Tri Trifo or Trico. He's got a dog company, and and uh, it's in Dallas. I just want to see what it is, and uh, so I get his name right. But he um, he trains Malinois, Mike Mike Rittler, and uh, he trains Malinois. And these dogs are, I mean, dude, a sixty-seven pound dog will rip you to shreds. It will. Rip, I don't give a shit who you are. This thing was biting through the fucking bite suit, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. the pressure. And I was like, well, they would shut your arm off. I don't care who you are. That dog is going to take you to the ground and you're going to be screaming and you're yeah. done. And the lack of fear in that dog's face, but it took him three years to get that dog to that point. Mm. So even a dog that's been bred for that, you can break that dog very quickly and very easily if you're not careful. And building that dog's confidence is a huge part of the technique when it comes to bite work. 
And he, and I said, you know, he goes, I've learned more about human nature working with dogs mm. than anything else. And this is a guy who was a Navy SEAL who was saying that I have a, I think some of it's a genetic an anomaly, which is all of us don't have the same sense of self-preservation a lot of other people do. So maybe that's what it is, right? You're kind of born with a certain sort of lack of fear. Mm -hmm. So so there is courage is inherent in some ways. Some people just don't have the imagination for what could go wrong. Mm -hmm. But if you hear someone like Hicks and Gracie, Hicks and Gracie will tell you that fear and intelligence are very closely related. And people who have no fear tend to be, there's, there's, the, there's the bravado of a fool. Mm. So um, I don't know that I believe in courage, so to speak. I mean, you're brave when you have been taught how to navigate the situation. And I think there is something called courage to be the best you can be. Again, it goes back to, I do think courage exists. Mm -hmm. And courage is, the, is, is, I would define courage as being terrified, but taking, assuming the position anyway. Yeah. And so uh, that would be the idea that I can, um, but that would be something like sacrifice or something like self-control, which is how the Greeks define character. The reason we admire people that do that, it's not that they aren't terrified. When Nelson Mandela was uh, sentenced to death, you could see him swallow. Mm. He was terrified. He didn't show it, but he was fucking terrified. He was going to die. Mm. Nobody is brave. When you lock that cage in the UFC, I've talked to too many badass fighters. They're always afraid. Yeah. They're always terrified of that. You know, It's like, I got to fight now? Holy shit. This is the most uncomfortable shit. GSP, the stories about him going, I don't want to go out there. This is fucking nuts. Yeah. He's a brilliant man who realized this is the dumbest shit on the planet, but he was so good. And, you know, and, and my buddy, Andy Stump talking about being a SEAL team six guys and being the squirrel suit guy, you know, he, he used to hold the world record for the squirrel suit. Mm. And he's like, I'm just risk averse. I was just very careful. Now I think he's full of shit. He's also crazy, but you know, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, so courage is probably not, not, you know, not the Spartan you know, Greek yeah, yeah. version of charging the hill that exists, but that might just be the idea that you're just not, you're able to not indulge in your standing Porter at the door of your mind and not the bad, but that's a huge part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Again, learning what not to think about mastering the ability to, um, allow only the positive things and the positive outcomes, uh, potential positive outcomes into your mind. And keeping the other things out, that's a huge part of it. And being a man, well, you know, I know what traditional masculinity is. Stoic, provider, protector. And I agree with all that because that's inherent in us. It's not my fault. It's what how I evolved. Mm -hmm. My aggression, I need it. My, my anger, I need it. My fear, I need it. M you know, uh, my, my, my ability to prepare for a worst case scenario, I fucking need it. Because the world is a war. Mm. It's not a community. It's not how I think. Okay? And so there is that inside of all of us as men. But, but you know, a man is not necessarily... You don't measure strength with one metric. Who can lift the most weights? You know, the, the NFL, the stock market. You measure strength with in many different metrics. Mm. How creative are you? There are people that are can't do one push-up, but they can create beauty for its own sake, and it's what we all point to. I don't, I don't know that Steve Jobs had abs. Mm -hmm. I don't know what Steve Jobs' Fran time was in CrossFit, okay? And I don't think anybody <laughs> gives a fuck. 
but he was incredibly creative. Yeah. You know, Isaac Mizrahi is gay as it gets. I don't want to live in a world without Isaac Mizrahi. I don't want to live in a world like that, like that Chechnya where they kill gay people because they're so fucking, because that, that fucking guy is so dumb. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't understand what, what people who are different provide a culture. Yeah. He doesn't realize that people who are creative, who might love differently or think differently, have other strengths that make your culture strong, make your culture creative. Yeah. You know, that that's the irony of of measuring strength with when you measure strength with one metric, which is the men who have the biggest club or the biggest guns, you get Somalia, you get Afghanistan. Yeah. The chaos of Somalia. I'm not talking about their cultures. I'm not talking about their people. Sure, sure. I'm talking about the the, the chaos the that system. these countries became. <clears throat> when men rule everything with a gun, fuck off. It's it makes you weak. Yeah. That's the irony. Which is another thing that makes America so awesome. That's right. Comparatively. It's why it's also why there's nothing left of Sparta but some shards of clay, hmm. some pottery. Interesting. And 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 Athens has left a legacy of incredible mm-hmm. literature and philosophy and, and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um so I find I find uh there are a few common denominators with you know, we've done over 800 episodes of the show, interviewed hundreds of really, really successful and smart people. And one of the things that I find is kind of a common denominator between all of those people is the ability to overcome rejection. And, and we're kind of talking about this a little bit earlier, but I've did door to door sales for a multitude of years and I'm very familiar with rejection myself. And I would say that of all things, that's probably the most direct feedback in terms of rejection. And if there were one thing that I would say is even a step further than doing just straight up hundred percent commission door to door sales, it would be acting in standup comedy. Um, how do you view rejection and are like, is there a structure or a system through which you help yourself overcome those things and keep moving on it's to the next thing? It's just built into the model. Yeah. I mean, it's just built in the model. It's like saying, I, I want to train in, in MMA and I fucking, I got knocked out. I hurt my nose. <laughs> You know, hey, I'm sore. My yeah. back is sore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not making, I'm not me. I didn't make a hundred million dollars this year and I'm going to work really hard on my jujitsu. <laughs> that's right. Motherfucker. You're going to be poor with a roommate in your thirties, but that's not, that's all built into the model. You want to be an actor? Cool. You want to be a standup? I'll see you in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you're still not going to make it. So it's just part of the thing. You just follow your, it's not a rational choice. Yeah. The the rejection has nothing to do with it. I got seven yeses in in 30 years, seven significant yeses. And the rest were no's. I'm not joking. Mm. But for like roles you're talking about? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Seven things worked out. Out Maybe. Out of how many shots? You think? How many at bats? In 30 years. Yeah. I mean, in 30 years. Thousands. Yeah. Thousands. Yeah. It's my baby. I apologize. Silence, child. <laughs> um, I don't stand for that. I run my house with an iron <laughs> it, fist. It worked. All right, yeah. I gotta have some baby because he's ten months. Like, nah. <laughs> yeah, my son will be a king. He will be separated from his mother. You have one more month. Oh, Learn man. how to eat gruel from a bowl, sleep on a cold marble slab, and understand that the only thing, the only true friend, the only true constant he can rely on is pain. Pain and solitude, my son. Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> in Manhattan Beach. In Manhattan Beach. <laughs> Manhattan Beach. Yes. Um, With lots of cuddles. <laughs> so you've also done these kind of like guest roles on 
30 shows. Yeah, everything. Plus. I said yes to everything. What, I'm a whore. What, what were some of them that you think you would have made a great regular on or that you wish you everything, could have? Everything, everything. <laughs> you know, you're asking me. I, I think I'm, you know, I think I should well, have been chosen for everything. So. Yeah, of course. I mean, you have to think that as an actor. It's like, not me? Yeah. The fuck? You don't want, you want, you want medium? Perfect. You don't want medium and wrinkled? <laughs> I, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> And that, that's the other thing that's humbling is like, you see yourself and you're like, I don't think I'd, I'd cast my, me either. Unless I was <laughs> casting super regular guy, <laughs> super average dude, middle of the road guy, five yeah. eleven, one seventy, but short femur bone. So he looks shorter. And whenever yeah, that's yeah. on the casting call, there's a lot of those people out there. Yeah. That can, I would yeah. choose you over me. You're a much better looking guy. I'd be like, get the guy with the fucking hair and he's bigger. And well, why would you get the fucking that guy over there? It's like I had this joke in my stand-up, and it was true. If I picked your pocket in a in a in a parade, you know, if I picked your pocket in a parade, you and you you wouldn't know how to describe me to the cops. They they wouldn't have anything going. He was medium, brown hair, white. <laughs> a sketch artist would have a tall order trying yeah, to. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, every guy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with an oval face and fucking two dots for eyes. Oh man. Uh, are there any that By stand the way, out? My to special you? man tears just dropped. Yeah. YouTube, it's free. <laughs> oh man, is uh, is there is there one that comes to mind that was like really fun or? Um, yeah, they were all fun, but you know, again, the reason I'm not crazy about acting was only because um, it was more the people I get to work with. Mm. It's the bonding experience. Yeah, you know, I just <clears> did uh, a movie, my buddy Kevin Max movie, McIntyre, Mac McIntyre's movie. I think it's gonna be great. Um, with uh, Amanda Clayton and uh, Mark O'Brien, really great actors, great actors. And uh, but I get to work with my buddy Eric Griffin and uh, Jimmy Schubert. Oh, cool. hilarious motherfuckers! Hilarious yeah. comics, smart as shit. That is so fun. Yeah, yeah. Just to be on set, and then Kevin is my boy too. So we're just all hanging out, and it's a beautiful thing. So that it's the acting gets in the way. Mm. You know, even like, even I've been you know, even like people like Paul Giamatti. Like he, we were doing Hangover Two, and he had won. Or nominated for um, uh, an Emmy, I think he won it. But for and he was just like, "This is so much more fun." I'm walking around set with everybody's like in character. It's like, ah. yeah, you know, the acting gets in the way. I think he said that. I'm, I'm quoting him. I, maybe he didn't. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> but you know, I remember. I never forgot that. I was like, yeah. "There's this great actor who's, you know, it is what it is." If you if you meet somebody out on the street and they're like, "I know you from something," what are the first things that you tell them that they might know you? You know, from? the Hangover. Hangover, yeah. You know. um, the Joe Rogan podcast. I guess, you know, it's, it's fucking amazing. Um, that's pretty incredible that people would know you from Joe Rogan. Th th that's how big over. his podcast yeah, is. Right, when, right. You know, you never know these things, <laughs> you know, the, how he met your mother, you know, uh, that is everything. How much your mother. Yeah. You know, yeah all that's that a good stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Goldberg's, <laughs> you know, you're the coach, you know, yeah. All that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first credit on IMDb that we looked at today is playing Joe Rogan's brother on news radio, news radio and you throw him through a window. Yeah. Q-clip. I'm going to fix that. How did, how did that come about? Is this, was this like pre-friendship? Yeah, no, he had done Mad TV. And, oh, okay, and gotcha. uh, we just got along, man. Because the other actors didn't really know what to do with this really muscular guy who was very kind of standoffish. <clears throat> he was just a little bit like, you know, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. But he was a comic and he, he was just, you know, he had, he had his armor up. And I just saw it right away. And I just liked him. 
because mm. he was into martial arts. I was too. We were into j- this new thing called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I was say that was before anybody we were like, talked about it. Who the fuck is yeah. Hoist Gracie? We just like we were just obsessed with it. And uh, he was in, he was a Taekwondo guy. Me too. And you know, yeah. But you know, and and uh, you know all that stuff. So so we were young guys. Yeah. And we looked a little bit alike, you know. And I don't know. We just hit it off, with, man. With a with a uh, with like a role like that, is that some of the producer? ass or it was no, Joe Rogan just like bullied me in he oh, was gotcha. like he can play my brother he's the best fuck it <laughs> I was in New York and he, he goes come to LA you're coming I was like awesome yeah and it was it was so much fun and that was that was legitimately your first credit on, on IMDb like that was your first thing that you did no I'd done a soap opera and yeah. I'd done Mad TV and Mad TV yeah, yeah yeah sure yeah so I, I I had done that for two years were you are you in stand-up at that point I was not. I, I yes, I started doing stand up before Mad TV. Okay, and then when I got Mad TV, um, be, when I would come home to New York, I would do some stand up. Okay, but for the most part, I stopped doing stand up for five years. But back then, what wasn't the overall kind of idea like you do stand up so that you can get yes. on TV? Yes, and yeah. make millions of dollars and have a cushy life. Yeah, I swear and to get God, royalties from your sitcom. I, yeah, I for swear to years. God. Most of my career was I just wanted to date beautiful women and eat really well. Mm. Literally. Yeah. I was like, I wanna you know, I wanna be a famous actor so I can so I can marry a ten yeah. and eat and and eat at the best restaurants and drink the best wine. Yeah. That's how superficial I was. <laughs> <laughs> everything was a, everything was a grind I just wanted that beautiful house I wanted to be successful and yeah. success was a cool car uh, your beautiful wife and or you know or, or beautiful girlfriend and eating well yep I yep. mean if you, if you really think if you strip it down it's embarrassing to say that but <laughs> I mean I always had the imagination of wanting to be a great artist so I'm being a little bit dramatic sure, obviously sure. that's not true I wanted to be Robert sure. De Niro well there's lots of ways to eat well and I wanted to be. The, 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 I take all of that back. <laughs> I take it all back. Because actually, the, never mind. This is where I say shit, and I'm like, that's not true. The, the truth is, I wanted to be a great artist. The truth yeah. is, I wanted to be. I wanted to be a great actor. I wanted to be Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. I wanted to be Christopher Walken in King of New York and The Deer Hunter. Mm. Those movies moved me so much I couldn't take it. I couldn't even watch them. They were so so. So I just wanted to touch that greatness. That's yeah. all I cared about. But I think what happened was I I realized I I didn't even know how to get into that. I also didn't know how to do that. I didn't have that schooling. I, I I'd gone to theater school in New York and I'd I was in class in LA, but I just didn't I I don't know, man. I just I just started to realize that I was never going to be that brooding deep actor. Hmm. And I was a jackass. I was a silly goose, and that's when I felt the most alive. Sure. And I had to let go of that. I had to let go of my. I had to let go of that. Yeah. I had to let go of who I was trying to be, and I was pretending to be somebody I wasn't. I also took on a persona, because you know, for me, I didn't have any. I didn't. Um. I didn't come from anywhere. That's a big thing. A huge thing for me was I didn't come from anywhere. I came from mm-hmm. everywhere. Right. I was moved all the time, so I didn't have any roots stories people um i didn't come from a place Mm -hmm. and when i would try to write i would always write i was always writing i didn't have any place i didn't know where to place it so it was all like it was all i was fabricating everything and so Mm -hmm. my 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 screens plays nothing worked trying to be who you thought you had to be to be that person rather than being the expression of right but my mother was brooklyn for the italian side was all brooklyn 
and they were Italian. Mm. So that's what I, I didn't know the Irish side in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. So I, I latched onto this idea of being a New Yorker from New York, an Italian guy from New York. I mm. latched onto it. And then I, I made a lot of great friends in New York. So they, they, they became my, my base. But I just, I still wasn't. You've uh, done a lot of work with Todd Phillips. How did that relationship come about? He's a genius, and he uh, he just loved this character. I did one time for him when we were I, I was out to dinner with him and Breckin Meyer. Breckin Meyer is an actor, and he he introduced me to him. And I would do this Israeli porn star on stage. I think I would make you nice all the way. Come on, get my balls, you know. <laughs> And he fucking loved that so much. And he just put me in old school. He saw you do guy. it on stage? Yeah, or? he put me in old school as that guy. And then he just loved yeah. me. And then and then really. The Hangover came along and uh, he wanted me to play. Uh, he put me in Bad Santa, which people don't know, but Todd Phillips rewrote from page one Bad Santa and directed it. Really? Yeah, his name's not on it, but he did that. Wow. Yes. And um, he's fucking genius. And then uh, Hangover came along, this little movie, because nobody wanted to do old school too. They all said no to him. And he's like, really? You fucking guys are going to say no to me? Good. This is called Revenge. And he wrote The Hangover. Hmm. Well, I think with Scott Armstrong and Jeremy. Um, can't remember his last name. But um, uh, fucking amazing, right? And they they killed it. Yeah. And, uh, and the character initially was supposed to be from New York. A guy like Eddie who's from Long Island who had this wedding, cha- wedding chapel. And, yeah. and I on at the read, I said, I think he should be from Armenia or Lebanon or something like that. I'm going to do it like this. Yeah. <laughs> I can get you anything. So he just lets me improvise. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. That's and, then, and then you can see your face in and hands in the Joker. If you don't yeah. blink, <laughs> spend five days in that or whatever with maybe it was three days. I don't know. With uh What's his name? Keanu Reeves. I knew he was going to, not Keanu Reeves. Uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> but I, I, Keanu Reeves. That'd be a crazy different Joaquin Joker. Joaquin Phoenix playing Keanu Reeves playing the Joker. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I knew he was going to win an Oscar. But I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I knew. I saw him shooting that scene in the bus when I got there. I was like, oh, he's going to win an Oscar. I could see it. Mm. It's like the fighter. The first time I saw the fighter in that opening frame when I, when I saw what Christian Bale was doing, I was like, oh, oh my God. I knew immediately. Yeah. That fast. The same thing with the Joker. I was like, he, he got down 126 pounds for this. He's eating an apple a day. He was 126 yeah. pounds for that? Yeah. Oh, my God. Whatever he was. I mean, anybody's willing to put themselves yeah, in yeah. that. The people like that, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, Keon, uh, um, Joaquin Phoenix, the people who are willing to do yeah. that to their body, you know, um, Christian Bale, like, yeah. uh, Meryl Streep, whatever. Those people, De Niro, like, I don't know what they're into. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they like that kind of masochistic process. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what they're getting out of that, but yeah. whatever they're getting, fine. I, I am not that guy. Yeah, that's never happening. I don't care enough. But that's kind of goes back to that moment of clarity for you, right? It's like, well, I want to be that, but also when you strip it down and look at everything that goes into that, it's like actually I don't want to do no, that I'm at all. I'd rather to. be this guy. Yeah, you know. I know. It's like I like yeah. skiing. I just hate the equipment and the fucking cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all that. What is your best advice to, you know, I'll be selfish here, a 30-year-old, you know, ambitious young man? I mean, it depends on what you want. I think the first thing is to come to terms with what you want. And I mean, honestly want. What do you, what do you honestly revere? And part of the problem is that you have children and, you know, and you have people to provide for. But um, I would say, the, 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 you know, if you want to really get to know who you are, you get very good at one thing. 
get very good at something. That's the value of jujitsu or whatever it might be. Mm. Playing the guitar, get really good. Because you'll have to you'll you'll have to face up to lots of your shortcomings. You'll have to overcome your shortcomings. You'll have to learn how to speak to yourself in the right way. And then you can apply those lessons to anything. But I would also ask yourself, what are you what are you truly motivated by? Being original, money, what is it? And it's fine. It doesn't be honest. There's nothing wrong with being motivated by the things you can't really admit to, mm. which is some people just want to be famous. Some people want to be rich because they grew up poor, and that was humiliating. <clears throat> it was humiliating to be treated like a second-class citizen. So when they wear a beautiful watch and they drive a beautiful car, the valet and everybody else treats them with respect. Mm. And if you don't understand that, you, you grew up with money. Mm. If you don't have a compassion for... See, there are a lot of people, like a lot of women are very materialistic. My friends, uh, I know somebody who's very material. This woman is very materialistic. But she grew up poor, man. Yeah. She grew up poor. So she's not materialistic. She just she hated that feeling. Mm-hmm. And all this nice stuff makes her feel safe. Mm. It makes her feel like she never has to eat shit again. So, you know, it depends on what you what you're motivated by. But um you have hustle, man. I'm not worried about you. You have hustle. You got here, you know. And um if you like talking to people, which you obviously do and and you you learn, I think you're doing you're doing the right thing. Be patient though. Mm consistency is more important than hard work. Consistency is, is uh, showing up every day is really the secret. Not, not uh, just daily attendance or regular attendance, consistent attendance yeah. is way more important than hard work, than grinding those eight hours a day, which I don't believe in. I don't believe in discipline. Yeah. I don't believe in discipline. <clears throat> I don't believe in, you know, I got to fucking lose weight. Okay, good luck. You keep that. I believe in inspiration. I believe in associating pleasure with whatever you're trying to do, you know? Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you got some stuff to do. Um, last, last thing before we go. So the show's called Travis makes friends and, uh, we kind of switched the, the whole message because <clears throat> I found that the more connected we get as society as a whole, I feel like the more disconnected we are because people are working virtually. It's harder to go deep on relationships. I feel like any anymore. And it's harder to find friendships as an adult. When you have a bunch of stuff going on, you got kids, you got, you know, ambition, you got this thing, this project. And then you, you if you're not careful, you can go your whole life and then wake up when you're 60 and go like, man, I don't really have any like real friends. And you know, I think that if I think that that would be a, I think that would be a failure on my, on my part. And I think that a lot of people my age are probably going to be going through that without really realizing you it. You get it more when you're in my age. Men lose their connection to other men hmm. and they get lonely. And I think after this, uh, this one hour, I, I consider you my best friend <laughs> and I love you more than my children. And I said it out loud and I don't give a shit who, who knows it or who hears it. Okay. Your producer, I don't trust. <laughs> Okay. That's a good like, call. Yeah, that's, that's not call. even a real Camry's holding. Yeah, that there. one's a good call. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and I think there are things that live in his beard, like small sparrows and maybe even hornets. I don't know. He looks like the devil. I said it. I don't give a fuck. But I'll be friends with him too. And uh, yeah, but um, what so was the, your question? the question is how do you go, like, how do you actually go make friends? How do you recommend to other people? Go, go find some friends, fill your life with relationships. And like we were talking about earlier, connection, laughter, experiences, yeah. find, find interesting people, find colorful people and, 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 and know how to look for it mm. and pro- create experiences that they can share in, 
it's not just about you can go watch a game and drink a beer. That's great. People need connection. But, you know, I also think um, I also think there's a spirited relationship to be had between people you disagree with hmm. and engaging in that, you know, and also just having. Yeah, I think uh, I think we, we, we mark our life with the number of times we laugh and the times that, you know, the experiences that so the, the two things that are the most the most the rarest commodities are adventure and intimacy. And a lot of times adventure builds intimacy. So, you know, if you have to die young but leave a good-looking corpse, you know, Nietzsche said basically turn your life into a circus. And that's probably the best way to foster real relationships. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet. Then leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.